know Your ass better call somebody Research and development Putting in the man hours to study the science of what you need Last week we put liquid paper on a bee And it died Become best friends. Yep. Can I tell you something though? You're getting angry. I love you. Yeah, you big guy. Welcome back in to another episode of the 4D Chess Dynasty Football Podcast. You're probably listening to this thinking. This voice is weird. This isn't who normally starts off the show. Where, where's Mike at? You know, where's the McNutted? Well, we don't have McNutted today, folks. But as Mike likes to say, if you're not going to have Mike, you try to get an upgrade. Now, Mike is my ride or die, but I have a really good guest on here. Somebody that we've come up with. Um, some of our best friends in the space here at Destination Devi. We got a special one, Dynasty Degenerates, today. We have Jordan Richards, better known as Jay Rich, on the show to co-host here with me on the 40 chest dynasty football podcast episode 49 jay rich what's going on man i'm good man i'm good that was uh you know it was lackluster intro you didn't talk about my exemplary video editing skills or <laughs> how i co-host with ray g every day which for people who know i mean if you know i'm one of the few who do know it's it ain't easy you know people people look at ray they see this big titan of a man even though he's short but he is still big in stature, big in the way that he has influence on the space. And it's my job to reel him in, to be his pessimistic side, his Robin. Um, it's not an easy job, but I do it with grace and sometimes with bad takes. And you know what, Adam? It happens. It happens to the best of us, but I'm happy to be on the show. And thank you so much for having me, man. Absolutely, man. And uh, Dynasty DeGeneres, as you know there, we're getting at that, you know, raise this big personality, but it's not done by Jess Ray G. Jay Rich is a big piece in the whole wake up show, the ragey personality as a whole. Uh, but man, I'm glad to get you on here. Um, we're going to do some 4D stuff here, right? Dynasty Generates. And 4D, if you tune into this and you like this, well, you probably like Mike and I kind of bantering and maybe mumbling nonsense time to time. But you also like the fact that we tend to go against the grain at times. We try to be not intentionally hot takey, but a little hot takey. So today, when everybody's thinking, right, we have one week left of the fantasy football regular season and the playoffs are here, right? Everybody's thinking, contending, how do I win a title? And that's cool. You, you're going to hear a lot of that stuff and you can get content from us for that. But for this podcast today, we're going against the grain. We're thinking into the future. We're thinking 2023. We're thinking what does values look like after this season's over? What do they look like in the off season? How does that trend into the whole summer after the draft? What does that look like in the future of the 2023 season? Trying to get you a step ahead of your league mates because when your league mates are playing chess, we play 40 chess. So, Jay Rich, man, we're going to go through, in Dynasty Degeneres, we're going to go through a couple things here. We have we have an actual live midseason startup. Real money's on the line. We have all the data points to give you ideas of where player values are now this is not going to be adp reflective of a standard you know multiple hundreds thousands of startups there's going to be people that take guys too high too low but this should give you an idea of values moving forward give you a future insight on where guys are going 
And then also Jay Rich will kind of talk about what we think of some of these players, some of these values, how these picks fit in to the whole landscape as we get ready to approach. I mean, it's four weeks from now, man. The fantasy football championship will be decided. And as great as this season's been and as awesome as it is to have football, we're thinking about 2023 as soon as the season's over. Yeah. No, it's it's wild. I mean, you sent me the draft board, and I don't know these people, so I have no connection to them. And if I flame them, they just got to take that shit in stride because this is a game, and we have differing opinions, and we're going to talk through all these players. But the reality is, is that there's lots of ways to build a team. We talk about it all the time. Roster construction is key. We have talked about on Destination Devi, on the podcast feed, even on 4D, there's multiple ways to build the team, and there's certain ways that we prefer to do it. And all these guys follow roster construction. That's okay. But you have to know how to fix your roster, how it's set up, and how you can actually win. Just drafting players you like and all that stuff, it's fun. But we're not trying to just have fun here, Adam. We're trying to win. And so I look at this startup draft. I see a couple teams that I'm curious how they're going to put it together. But for now, at least, I think we're off to a pretty good start. I think a lot of the people you had in here did a pretty good job. Maybe not the best job, sure. But you know, not every not everyone's as smart as we are, Adam. So we have to be here to educate the people, and that's okay. And then hopefully they learn something from this podcast. Yeah, and that's and that's the whole that's the whole idea and fun of it, you know. And and I'm gonna give you some strong takes, my opinions, as you always are used to. Um, some of those are gonna be great, you know. Some of them are gonna hit, you know, Brandon Ayuk types, and some are gonna be massive flameouts like Cam Akers. So that's what makes it so fun is we have receipts out there. But um, the first three. I'd say, honestly, the first five, Jay Rich. Now, what order these first five went, you could probably debate, and you really? may have – you, okay. may, you we, are, may, we already got some discourse then. Well, first I would five, say, I don't know. I would say this. I think the first five are the first five. I think there's some disagreement on how the first five order went. I think, for me, where I got Justin Herbert at 105, I was really happy to get him there. And mm-hmm. I don't want to just you know talk about my team here, but let me give you Johnny C. DeGeneres the first five picks. We have Patrick Mahomes going 101. That much I am okay with. I think 101, 102 yeah. need to be Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen. For me, it's not really much of a debate Not close. There. Tier right. one, yeah. over. I Move think on. tier two then starts, and that's where I think, for me anyway, I, I think there's a scenario where you could probably even put Joe Burrow in this mix, depending on who you are. For me, I do have him behind the next three, which is 103 went Jalen Hurts, 104 went Lamar Jackson, 105 went Justin Herbert, 106 went Joe Burrow. Um I was at 105, took Herbert, Mike McNutted, uh, who's not here today to defend anything. We're going to, you know, tell it how it is. And Mike's not going to be here to say shit. But at 106, he got Joe Burrow. I, I, I thought that was a good pick for him. So where where are we differing here, man? The biggest thing for me here, Adam, is that Joe Burrow, I understand this startup was probably a week and a half ago, two weeks ago at this point. I don't know when you guys started it. But Joe Burrow has beat Patrick Mahomes. And now I think at some point you got to be like, he's beat Patrick Mahomes three times in a row. He deserves to be in this tier two conversation. Tier one is clearly Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen. You want to talk about Jalen Hurts in tier two, Lamar Jackson, Justin Herbert, Joe Burrow. I think that's where it ends for me. Kyler Murray is a player who has been in this tier for a while. We talk about the top seven quarterbacks within the Discord community a lot. It's kind of playing out more like a top six right now, but I think that Joe Burrow has to be firmly entrenched in that top six. I understand he doesn't have this massive rushing upside that people love to see, but what he does, the way that he plays, 
as much as they trust him to throw the ball, I think he has to be a tier two option for you. And so for Mike to get him at 106, basically at the back of tier two, before we break into tier three, in my opinion, is a massive win. And if you're talking about a startup draft, being around that spot, 105, 106, no reason to trade up, take who you can get at that spot and just get that value because you are getting a little bit of value. And obviously when it comes back around the other side, you have a closer pick to the top to get the best value possible for your draft pick. Yeah, I mean, you make a good point. I'll say this. For me, Burrow, if you want to argue him in that tier, I don't know that I can actually necessarily argue that he's out of the tier. For me, he's definitely the last one in the tier. And that's really okay. – it is because of the rushing upside. And I'll say this from an NFL perspective. Joe Burrow's phenomenal. I will also admit that this year versus last year, when you look at – when we talk about best ball especially here, um, his spike weeks versus um, average weeks, like his consistency weeks and his spike weeks – they're significantly better this year relative to the field as they were last year. Um, Joe Burrow's clearly fourth right now with four spike weeks. Um, he also has eight consistent weeks. So, like right now, there's not. I, I can't give Joe Burrow too much shit. Honestly, I I I need to let's say have him in the back half of that tier. I, I'll say you convince okay. me on that. Okay. I also Maybe behind the rushing quarterbacks. I'm, I'm fine yeah, with that. I, yeah. I'm sure exactly. We're, we're talking about growth here, Adam. It's not, you know, it's not about trying to prove anybody wrong. We're just no. trying to make sure everyone's on the same page here. That's all. That's exactly right. And I think the thing is, um, for me, I think the spot was correct. But when when you when you phrase it that way, I always have to think about what I'm saying and if, am I right. And when I look about it, the thing is, Burrow is in the right spot for me. But he should be in the, the back end of that other tier because he is very clearly ahead of the guys that are about to be coming after him here. And that's where there's no argument yeah. for me. That's where it becomes very clearly him being in the second tier. I, I would argue the back half, but still in that tier because – Next you have, right, the 107 to 112 here gets interesting Dynasty Degenerates because these are going to be very different than probably what you're thinking. Now, 107, you may, before the first game that you saw him. Ain't going to be there now, right? <laughs> I don't think so. Like, I, I'm actually curious to get your level of concern on this player because I'm in the middle of, like, concern but also thinking this is rusty, can wear off. Uh, 107 is Deshaun Watson. Now, this is before – we saw his first game versus Houston, which obviously was not very good. He, um, I'm not going to say airmailed because that would be the opposite of what he did. He threw a couple right into the dirt. But to John Watson at 107, the next two here I think are going to be hard for people to understand and swallow this pill of where these guys go. I'm not going to say they should or shouldn't go here. I do think they're absolutely candidates for late. I'm sorry, early second, late first round, however you cut it, because of the quarterback position landscape. To a tongue of I low at 108, Jay Rich. Justin Fields at 109. So the first nine picks, first of all, are quarterbacks. That's what you have. You had the first tier, the second tier, and then now you have Watson, Tua, and Fields. Right, wrong, crazy. Like, where are you at with these three here um, as the next quarterbacks off the board in the first round pretty early? Mm, it's. I would say that it's not wrong process, but it's clearly a terrible spot to be in from a startup perspective, right? Early in the year, um, around March or so, Ray and I were talking about startup strategy. And once you got to Dak Prescott, I was like, I'm out. I don't want the 107, the 108, the 109, the 110, the 111, the 112, because you're not getting a difference maker at quarterback. You're not getting a player that we think has massive upside to be the QB1. And yeah, you know, you may get a Dak Prescott surprise. You may get a Trevor Lawrence surprise. Kyler Murray is a player we had in that top seven quarterbacks to start this season. Now, obviously, we haven't even talked about him yet. We haven't mentioned him. So obviously, he's falling a little bit further down. 
But this is a spot I absolutely hate to be in in Dynasty because like you're seeing, once you get past Joe Burrow at 106, you have to choose between Deshaun Watson, Tua Tagovailoa, Justin Fields, and if you want to go down, Kyler Murray, Trevor Lawrence, Dak Prescott, Trey Lance. And choosing between those quarterbacks is very difficult. And we talk about this a lot on our show. I hate to pick at the top of a tier. And you would be picking right at the top of a tier. So no matter who you pick, it feels like you're taking someone who is overvalued. But the reality is, is that someone has to be the 107, the 108, the 109. And if you're in that pick and you can't trade it, you got to make that selection. Now you talked about Deshaun Watson and how I feel about him. Long-term, I'm not that concerned. This week he plays Cincinnati Bengals. I think they're going to give him some fits. But the reality is, Adam, is that he's going to have to throw the ball to try and win this game. They're still trying to push for the playoffs as bad as the Browns are, as many mistakes as they've made, as many games as they've blown. They're going to try and make the playoffs still because they have Deshaun Watson. They have no draft picks and they gave him $230 million. So I think against Cincy this week, we'll see Watson versus Burrow for the first time. I believe this game is a road game in Cincinnati. So even more incentive to throw the ball on the road to really try and get ahead. I'm curious how he plays in this one. I think it will do a lot for his stock, whether he plays good or bad. I'm expecting 40 plus pass attempts. And at that point, we'll get a feel for how he's looking. And Houston wasn't expecting much. Terrible team, terrible matchup, not expecting to do anything. And to be fair, he looked awful. Now he plays a team he's going to have to throw against. So let's see how he looks. Hopefully some more chemistry with DPJ, with Amari Cooper. But, you know, compared to Tua, I just think I want the ceiling of what Watson could be. And more importantly here for me, you have the security of the contract, which you can't say about any other quarterback outside of maybe Kyler Murray and Trevor Lawrence. I know he's going to be there. I do believe in the team and the offense. And that's why I think taking Watson at seven, while it seems crazy after that first performance, isn't so crazy for the long term. Yeah, man, a thousand percent with you. I I think that Watson long term because of the contract. And also I think that we have to remember, it's been a while since he's played football and I think he's tried to stay sharp, but as much as yeah. you try to do, like you can get guys to come catch for you. You, you, you can get guys to help set stuff up, but it's never going to be in game feel. It's never going to be conditioned like a game. And what you're seeing is him missing a lot of these throws short. I think that's just simply rust for me. Anyway, I'm hopeful. I'm a Browns fan, so I'm with you. That, that's that's where I'm at with it. But I will say, I expected rust, but that was like. It was a little worse than just a little bit of rust, right? It was, it was a lot scarier than I thought it could be. Like, I expected some bad passes. Like, the, let me say this. The pick in the end zone where he's trying to throw it to Cooper and he just doesn't see that there's another guy up front there. Lack right? of reps, man. That, I totally, like, expect those type of things. But when he's just rolling right and the guy's right in front of him open and he throws it three yards short of him, like, that's... Yeah. I still think it's rust, but it's a little more concerning than what I thought I would see. Long-term, Watson, I'm still very high on. So I think this is one thing, Jay Rich, as you're talking about this, it's it's interesting because we, we agree on this a lot. And I'll say the point that I want to make is along the same lines, but a little different here. It's I like to a lot. We Mike and I talked a lot on our channel on YouTube um, on this podcast at times how we thought Tua was very undervalued. And, you know, a lot of the not rushing upside was talked about with him and the fact that he doesn't really have a big crazy arm right he's not going to push the ball downfield like crazy but mm -hmm. when you look at some of his advanced metrics he's incredibly accurate even with bad receiving corpses that he's had the first two years outside of Jalen Waddle, like he's had very good deep ball accuracy rating and we're and we were kind of pushing that you know Tyreek Hill's here 
this is, you know, we're expecting hopefully Tua to be healthy. Now that has been another concern for Tua, especially taking him up this high. But mm-hmm. he's had a great year because of the pass catching weapons, and they're in a pos- they put him in a position to really thrive. If you think about how he was successful in Alabama, he's throwing a guy's running wide open. He can hit a guy wide open, and that guy can make a play. That's what he's got going with Waddle and Hill, and then everybody else after that. There's so much less focus on them that they're going to be open. He can check those check the ball down to those guys. Here's the problem though, and I, I like Tua a lot, man. I do. There's two things happening here that I think is the reason he's going here. One, it's recency bias to where he's playing well. You're, you're seeing it at the moment, and this is a midseason startup, right? So, and we also before are, the Niner game, right? That's important to point out. It's before the Niner game. It is game, correct. So, correct before and the Niner his game. His value has taken a bit of a hit since then. Yes, and I think he's always going to be a little polarizing. Like I think he's going to be one of those guys on key trade cut that kind of fluctuates a lot because you have naysayers and you have people that are pushing it now and you're seeing him play well. You've seen a ceiling with him. But the problem is at 108, Jay Rich, like, and I like I like Tua, but you're basically drafting him there saying one of two things. One, you think that he's, his ceiling is with these other guys because you're not using much of a different pick. As much as I like Tua, I don't think his ceiling's anywhere near the guys we just listed ahead of him. I don't. It's not the case. And then the other problem is, like, you're not – giving yourselves any out for if it goes down like you're taking all the risk taking him here I think is the big way to say this and the last point is I think part of the reason all these quarterbacks are being taken here is because the landscape is so bad Jay Rich and this is when we're going to start getting yeah. 23 here in a second how they fit in because when I look at this startup man before we get to Fields and, and Murray uh, Tre- Trevor Lawrence goes at 202 Dak Prescott goes at 203 Trey Lance goes at 206 right and after that you have such a fault, like literally, Jairus, they don't get touched unless you're considering the picks as rookie picks, which are kickers in this. Mm-hmm. No one touches quarterback until 4-10. So you went from 206 to 410. There's not even a quarterback taken unless it's a rookie pick that could be a quarterback, Bryce or CJ, right? But yeah. I think part of what it is is there's you're, you're taking all the risk taking him at 108 and then it's also like well I just need to get a quarterback because I don't want to get past Lance and I don't have one I think that's ultimately something that you got to keep your mind on and Jay Rich is right when you get a startup pick at the 107 108 109 that's part of the problem what do you do there if you don't like do you go Jefferson and I'm not saying you can't like you could but if you go Jefferson like how do you get the quarterback because you better get him on the way back or otherwise you're just going to stream um it's it's lofty for me at 108. I, I I think he's reasonably a early second round pick or something, but even a late first if you really, really wanted to. But when, when you're talking drafting him right next to Burrow, Watson, Herbert, it's just – I don't know that he has the staying power to be that good, that, that type of ceiling. So that's my worries, not to mention the injury stuff. Yeah, like Adam, you hit on a very key point here that I think is very difficult to manage as a dynasty manager, right? You have a startup draft. You're excited for it, but you don't have a top six pick. So what do you do? You have to draft based off of what you're given, right? Maybe you can't trade that pick. And like, I'm being dead ass serious with all you guys. It's just a dog shit spot to be in. Like there's, there's no, there's no, I, I am a content creator and I, I try to give you advice, but it's like, there is no advice here. You have to just take the best player available. If that's Deshaun Watson, if that's Justin Jefferson, if that's Kyler Murray, if that's Jamar Chase, whoever it is, you just make that decision and that's fine. But the problem is, is that it's never going to feel like the right decision. 
You're never going to feel like you made the correct decision. You got value. It's always going to feel like a reach. And you just have to look past that. You have to look past the fact that you're not getting a top six guy. If you can't trade into that top six, you're not getting one of those players. So at that point, do you take a Jefferson? Because Jefferson and Chase are the one and two at their positions. They are clear difference makers. They have values that are so locked in right now that Chase has been injured, doesn't dip in any value at all. He's still locked in wide receiver two. Or do you take the risk on a Tua who, again, like you mentioned, Adam, is kind of at a value ceiling. We don't view him going up into that tier two of quarterbacks. He's in tier three, he's staying in tier three, or he's going down. And we can make the same case, and I did that today, about T. Higgins and Jalen Waddle and Amon Ross St. Brown at their wide receiver tier, but that's maybe we'll get into that maybe potentially on this show. But with the quarterbacks, you have to take what's given to you and accept the fact that maybe you're not all the way happy with it, but if you can't move that pick, the quarterback is still the best position to go after because they hold the most value short and long term. And if you want to move them, they have they are cornerstone players that you have to have if you want to win. Now, in my opinion, Adam, and I want your thoughts on this a little bit, is Deshaun Watson versus Kyler Murray would be my QB seven here. So right around that spot. And okay. then you have Tua and Fields. Okay. And then it's talking about when would you take Chase and Jefferson? I'm fine taking Chase and Jefferson after Burrow if you want to. Not everyone would do that, but I'm fine with it. But how do you feel about those four quarterbacks? Deshaun Watson, Tua Tagovailoa, Justin Fields, and Kyler Murray. I've talked about how I would consider taking Justin Fields over Kyler Murray, but I understand if you want Kyler because you have the team, the contract, and hopefully, if everything goes right, Cliff getting fired and a new OC coming into Arizona next season. Yeah, you know, so here's the thing with Kyler. Um Man, th- this is a tough one for me because I, I liked him a lot. And-, and when you saw him at his peak a couple times these last couple years, not this season, I'm talking the two year priors, before he got hurt, you're looking at, you're like, man, this kid can run. He maybe isn't always the most accurate, but he has a good arm. He- he's small, but he's electric when you watch him and he was scoring fantasy points like crazy. And. He had touchdown upside at that small. It's like you're starting to see why when you watch those last couple seasons, why he's so exciting in Dynasty and why he's someone that was talked about in the mix at like, for some people starting at like quarterback three. Um, Now he's taking a dip here this year. And Jay Rich, when I think about this, right, like it's, it's only one season, but this season I think has started to make me wonder on Kyler, right? The whole thing this off season you know, the lack of film study, him getting so upset about, you know, the video game stuff, they put it in the contract and they take it out. Like, okay. That's like when you delete a tweet, it doesn't matter. Like everybody knows it's out there. Like it's screen captured. We know you did it. It's not on your Twitter profile, but everybody knows it happened. Like everybody knows. It doesn't forget, right? Everybody knows it's a situation that's not all that rosy. Cause if Kyler thought it was just a joke or something he didn't care about, he's not going to ask him to get all mad at reporters and all that. So that was weird for me. But they did give him the contract like you talked about. But the problem this year is it's only one year, man. But, like, right now, I feel like you're getting – right now with Kyler Murray, what you're getting production-wise is you're paying for a name and you're not getting the production. Like, when I look at the spikes and, and consistent weeks, man, he has had one week where he's got a spike week. He was QB3 in week eight. Outside of that, like, yeah, he's, yeah. he's been consistent because of his, his rushing upside or whatever, but he's not giving you the elite production – that you're thinking about with Kyler Murray. I also think about some of the injuries in the small frame, right? And that's 
Yeah. It's independent of the contract, but that makes me hesitant with Kyler where I'm not like loving him necessarily. Obviously, I don't have him anywhere near, um, for me personally, Burrow and those guys. Watson, I still went ahead of him because I think I've seen enough passing upside with him. I got the guaranteed contract. I know it's rusty and shaky right now, but we've seen him, honestly, as a pass completer and some of the things he can do with his legs. He's in rare air territory with how, what he's throwing the football. So I'm very high on Watson. The conversation- okay, now let, me, now let me challenge you quickly. Sorry to interrupt you. Yeah, let me challenge no, no, you quickly. Go ahead, go ahead. How long are you willing to wait on Watson? Because that's the real question here. Mm-hmm. We talked about game one. He looked awful. And he looked worse than expected. We both didn't expect a lot from him. But he looked worse than that. Correct. So if he looks bad all season, yep. how would you feel about him heading into 2023? Because this is a conversation about 2023, right? We're it's not we're concerned about this season. It. But it's about 2023. This. So how do you feel if he looks you know, 150, 200 yards, 50% completion percentage, you know, maybe a little bit rushing, but he's not going to but he's not looking like the guy who led the league in passing in 2020. Right. Right. How would you then value him heading into next season cuz I think one game is one thing, right. but he's got what? Five more games. If he looks this bad five more games, he's going to look a lot worse than Kyler Murray probably after those five games. All right, so interesting point cuz it's a, it's one that's very front of mind for me as a Browns fan and being so excited for Watson. When I talk about this here, Jay Rich, so I think this is one to let the mind explore a little bit because there is a scenario that goes a couple different ways. And I think what's fun about this is you're having to make the decision now before you know. And I think here's the reality. All right, you kind of already set up about next week and have to throw the football. Now, I don't know how much everybody listening Dynasty DeGeneres to the show, you know this. I'm from Cleveland. I've, I've seen all the wrong things happen here, and I've, I get to see all of it front and center. So... What I can tell you is one thing the Browns have done that's crazy is they have not lost to Joe Burrow. They're playing this week versus Joe Burrow, right? So now you got Watson. Now think about this from the Watson perspective for a second, right? For whatever reason, Zach Taylor, and when he goes up against Stefanski, the Browns win the game. It's the weirdest thing, and, and the Bengals right now actually have a weird, they have a bad division record, but they're beating the Chiefs, right? And and they've shown bad weeks at times but when they get their ceiling right like they they can play with anybody they've proven that so that's a different discussion with the Bengals but I think what what's interesting with Watson is okay if he plays really bad again this week right and they have to throw the football and he has a chance to do some special things and he flops again right and let's say the defense isn't playing Houston they don't get to bail you out with all these fucking plays and you don't have a single score on offense and it's like okay well next week if Joe Burrow gets his first win versus the Browns and Watson looks really bad at least around here, I don't know national spotlight, but around here, there's going to be people that are not loving things. If that continues yeah. all season, now you have a very interesting conversation because I still would be okay with him long term. I think that there's a scenario where this is a tough thing for him. You're coming in midseason. You, you did a lot of reps in preseason. That's a long time ago. I think there's a scenario, even if he looks bad the rest of the year, where he could get it together in the offseason and he will be okay because I think the talent typically weighs out in a situation here. But the problem is that when you talk about future values in Dynasty, that is posing something crazy where I bet you you have with all the allegations off field. Now, they may get put behind what some people don't forget, like we talked about on Twitter, right? <laughs> people aren't going to forget that. He's, he's playing bad. He's playing bad, right? People are going to – people. there are going to be people in Dynasty, I think, that start to panic. So mm. what's interesting now, when you think about it at 107, if you're willing to diamond hand this no matter what the scenario is, I think you'll be okay. 
But if you're somebody that kind of is willing to go very polarizing with your players and you, you're going to have a long time. Like we know how long the offseason is, right? You're talking January till August of there's no way that he can get any value. I mean, what can you yeah. see, right? Like you have to sit on that asset. And if you're someone that's not willing to do that, you draft him here and you may trade out and just lose value right away. So I think it's a very interesting case here um, when I think about that. And I would say this, though. The last piece I'll say about Tua and Fields, like we already touched on Tua. Fields is interesting because the concern really is like the passing work, the, the volume of passing, like how good he's been as a thrower. I think he's improved, but people are probably concerned. And then also as great as he's been as a rusher. And I've talked about a lot of times that Mike, Mike and I loved him this offseason at his value. It got scary. I mean, he got scary for the lovers of Justin Fields, but he's really come on. Oh, yeah. Problem is it's a lot attached to his legs, and we saw 15, 18 carries. And it's not even like Lamar sometimes, like where Lamar doesn't take a lot of shots. Justin Fields has gotten rocked. If he you're taking hit. 15, 18 carries and you're getting hit, and now we're getting injuries – Yep. That plus no contract plus arm question marks. I think that's where he's very polarizing. Like I'm okay yeah. with it with taking him early because there's no other quarterbacks. But I'll I'll be honest, man. It's risky, but I I would be willing to take Fields ahead of Murray. Tua. So um, I, I don't know that I would take do him that. ahead of Trevor Lawrence though. Uh, Justin Fields. Yeah, I would, and it's okay. not by a lot. I think that Justin. Yeah, I think, that Trevor I think it's closer than it's what five picks in this draft. I think it's a little bit closer than that, right? I agree, and I think here's what happened. So let me just r- real quickly talk about the settings here, so that you have an idea of how the rest is going to go. Because pretty much we've only talked quarterbacks right now, right? Which is important, and I think it's a big discussion for people because the quarterback position is it's crazy. Going into twenty two, we talked about how we thought the quarterbacks might get drafted in the first round just out of pure necessity for people to to reach. Didn't happen. The quarterback landscape got worse this year, man. Like, there are teams that are freaking fucking desperate for quarterbacks, dude. It's, it is so gross. So, if you want to secure one, that's fine. But when we talk settings on the rest of these picks, right? So, this is a uh, best ball league. We are looking at not just a best ball league, but we're looking at no tight end that you have to start, Jay Rich. All right? So, oh, that changes some okay. things. But what's interesting is if you do decide to take one, the tight end reception bonus is two points. So if a wide receiver gets one point wow. for a catch, a tight end gets three. Wow, that's massive. Right. So you don't have to play one. So if you don't get one and you don't want to draft, you, you literally don't have to draft one. But yeah, if you want to take a shot on you know one of these upside tight ends that are in rare territory as far as like difference making, then you're getting the bonus, but they're going to the flex. They're not just getting a positional advantage over a tight end. So – yeah, a lot of different things there. Um, it's best ball with a lot of starters. So that being said, uh, we we are looking at Fields one hundred nine, Justin Jefferson one ten, Kyler Murray one eleven, one twelve, Jamar Chase. As we wrap around with the turn, Jalen Waddle two hundred one, Trevor Lawrence two hundred two, Dak Prescott two hundred three, two hundred four is Travis Kelsey. So you don't have to start a tight end. You don't have to Great have pick. one. But there, you're talking about a guy that is. So this Great is one of those, man. Uh, Travis Kelsey to me is this. There's there's a lot of players in Dynasty that eventually hit this. Now, he is the premier one of this group where I would call it where the production for this player at this point in time will always forever outweigh what their Dynasty worth is in a trade. And that's one of those, unless I'm on a dog shit rebuilder that like I'm not going to compete for two or three years, I, I'm, not, I'm not moving Kelsey for some of this bullshit 
Like, cause you're not going to get back in value what he's worth Never. in production. So unless Never. your team is just so clearly awful and it's like, dude, I'm, I can't compete. I'm wasting him. There's no point in selling him for what his dynasty value is worth. And then when I think about this format, like it's risky cause you're taking him at 204 and like, we haven't seen tight ends really produce past 33, but what he's done this year, if it hits, we talk about with three points per catch. I mean, that's just and the the format, right? Like, yes, in it, the format, probably puts him over Jefferson and Chase in terms of production. He was the easily. number one flex player in this format. Yes, so there you go. Chase right? nails it. Yep, it, it's it's not even going to be close. He, he catches seventy passes, eighty passes a year. All of a sudden, Jefferson's only catching you know one ten, maybe one twenty if we're lucky in a very high volume year. Kelsey's going to be blowing him away and score. He's got what eleven touchdowns already this season. Yep. He's going to be on route for over a thousand yards again. Like he's going to be a fucking monster in this format. So, but again, it's dynasty. It's best ball. So you don't you don't have to take him this early. But I mean, him Andrews got to be your tight ends one and two. Andrews oh, yeah. been my tight end one in dynasty for a long time. Best ball changes things a little bit. But I do want to switch gears a little bit here. We've talked about do the quarterbacks it. a ton. Do it. Top five wide receivers, or we'll t- go top six in the top two rounds. Justin Jefferson, 110. Jamar Chase, 112. Waddle, 2-1. Tyree Kill, 2-5. CeeDee Lamb, 2-8. And A.J. Brown at 2-10. Adam, how do you feel about the order of these receivers? Because for me, this is very far off. Very far off. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm there's a clear you. couple of outliers here. But again, it's best ball. So maybe that changes things for you guys a little bit. You know, I don't play in as much best ball. You guys do a lot more best ball than we do. But, you know, even with best ball, I still want a very high four player for my wide receiver one. And so seeing these six receivers in the order that I gave them again, Jefferson, Chase, Waddle, Hill, Lamb, Brown. How do you feel about the order of those guys and where they went? You know, obviously we have Chase and Jefferson in a tier of their own. But after that, how do you feel about those guys especially? Yeah, so I would say this for me. I, I was wrong. Uh, let me say this. Mike and I were wrong on half of the Dolphins thing. Like, we were high on Tua. We thought, like, okay, the weapons are here. That's going to help Tua. But we also were, like, you know, looking at some historical data. And it, our argument kind of when I think about it now and how it's played out was a little convoluted. Like, part of the reason we like Tua is because the wide receivers are so good. Well, yeah, that means you also probably should have liked the wide receivers. Problem was, like, historical data says a lot of times when – Wide receivers come over to a new system. And as much as we thought Tua was a deep ball guy, it's not Mahomes. So we're like, is is Hill going to still be Tyreek Hill? Well, it turns out mm-hmm. Tyreek yeah. Hill is not only Tyreek Hill. This is a new Tyreek Hill that we haven't seen if he continues to play like this. Like he's – I mean, he's, he's going to break Tyreek Hill's record. He was on pace for 2,000 yards. That's what yeah. I'm saying. Like it's, it's, it's wild to think. So um, in order though, Jefferson, one for me, Chase, two for me. I like Waddle a lot, man. Honestly, I don't know that I would even him and him and Lamb are close, and I like Brown quite a bit too. I would say the problem here for me is Tyree Kill, and okay, I'll tell you why for me it's Tyree Kill that in in this specific order, but I also defend the pick in a second too. Tyree Kill for me because of the age, he's been great. I mean, on the production side, I get it. Now, but, don't say he's been great. He is great, and he's sorry. having his best season of his entire career. He's been great this whole season. He is currently great. Great. The reason I was using Ben is because I'm getting ready to go into that. I think you get 
maybe not Tyreek Hill production, but you get damn good production from the other guys, and there's a significant age gap between the two, and we're playing dynasty here, right? So that's yeah. that's my problem, right, is that you, I think you get points that are very similar in best ball. Like, when I look at these these spike weeks, I mean, he, he's been great. Tyreek Hill is great, right? He's smashing five spike weeks and eight above average weeks, but when you look at these other guys behind, it's not like you're getting you're missing crazy production, like you're going to just fall off a cliff. So... For me, I think that's why I would put him last, but I will defend the pick because this is a guy that he's doubling down, man. He's saying, you know what? I took Tua at 108. Waddle's gone. Yes. I'm going best ball stack. If Tyree Kill is able to do this for another season, I get all the weeks where Tua hits him on a bomb and he has this crazy week. So I understand why he does it there. Uh, M. Armstrong, 119. For me, though, I think I'd put – I'm, I'm going to put Lamb – AJ Brown and Waddle kind of grouped into a tier after these guys, and then I'll go Tyreek Kill. Um, what, what about you? Are, are, are you off on that, or do you think similarly? I think that's actually like so. Hill is not even in conversation for me. Agreed. Um, yeah. I I get it from the standpoint of dynasty, and like we did a dynasty startup, and I have a massive Eagle stack. That was how I built my team, and it's dominating because the Eagles are phenomenal this season, and it's working out really well for me. And so wanting the stack, I get it. Um, I'm not. And you talk about, you know, a lot of people talk about underdog leagues and, and how to win these types of best ball leagues. Stacking is a very important component of that because it gives you a value ceiling and a, and a point ceiling that you can't achieve as easily without stacking. You Trying to hit all these isolated incidents of players performing at a peak is much more difficult. But when you stack it, you know that a quarterback wide receiver stack is going to be very fruitful when it hits. And if it hits often like it does for Tua and Tyree Kill... It's probably in some ways, outside of maybe Mahomes and Kelsey in this format, the best stack you can have in the league, right? Yeah, so you're, you're right, honestly. And that's crazy to say, thinking of what startup – we're talking about startups here, what startups were all offseason, how crazy of a value those were, right? But you're 1,000% yeah. right. Outside of Mahomes and Kelsey, you gotta you got to start there, right? It, the, here's what I'd have. I'd have Mahomes, Kelsey, Hurts, Brown, and then uh, Tua, Tyreek. And you can put Waddle in that mix too, whichever stack of the one you wanted to go. Those are the three that are crazy. Also, you got to have Burrow and Chase in there. But like, those are the stacks that are crazy. And and to to say Tua and Tyree Kill isn't one of the most spiking stacks when it does spike, you could make the case honestly. Yeah. So like in this draft, right? And and we'll get further down the line, right? But you have the Lamar Jackson, Mark Andrews stack. Yep. As long as it lasts. Right, this is for 2023, and uh, we'll see. I hope that Lamar stays there, but yeah. to be fair to everyone else, there isn't still the the potential that Lamar Jackson's on another team, and Mark Andrews is still in Baltimore, and all of a sudden that stack that you thought you were getting is now dead. But like you said, that AJ Brown Jalen Hurts stack was acquired at 103 and 210, and that to me, in some ways, not completely is a slightly better stack than Tua and Hill. Now, again, I am a Brown and hit and hurt stacker. I have that stack. It's been very good for me this season and will be for subsequent years with Brown getting his extension. But Hill and Tua is an excellent stack as well. So you see the kind of correlations. The only player, the only players who got stacks were the Lamar Mandrew stack, the Hertz Brown stack, and then the Tua Hill stack in the first and second rounds. And I think if I was taking my pick, I would happily take Jalen Hurts, the top tier, tier two quarterback, and a player that I love in A.J. Brown. Now, circling back to the question of the wide receivers, the reason why I don't put Hill and Waddle in that tier 
is a bigger conversation about wide receiver value as a whole, right? And in my opinion, as much as I love Jalen Waddle, I don't think he has the type of value ceiling to overtake an A.J. Brown or CeeDee Lamb because he is never, for as long as he's on the Dolphins and Tyreek Hill is on the Dolphins, will he be the alpha from the perceived value standpoint on his roster? And you have Justin Jefferson, Jamar Chase, CeeDee Lamb, A.J. Brown, the clear alphas on their team, and it is not close. And I think that Dynasty Degenerates, as we like to call them on this show, recognize that and that value premium is shown over and over when you try and trade for these guys. And then you get into these second tier guys, like I mentioned earlier on the show, Jalen Waddle, Tyreek Hill isn't there, but because of age, he's pushed down a little bit. Chris Olave, who I like a lot, is the alpha on his offense, but I don't view him as an alpha long term. T Higgins, a player that we all love, think is a great value, but again, until he switches teams, will not be the alpha on his offense. And I think there is a value cap to that. And you touched on Travis Kelsey being a player that is always more valuable on your roster than if you try and trade him. That to me is Amon Ross St. Brown, T. Higgins, and Jalen Waddle. They are going to be super valuable. That's They're fair. always going to have value, but they're not going to necessarily go up in value to where when you have them on your roster, you can move them for a haul because they're never going to be viewed as the number one on their team unless situations change. Now, Amon Ross is an interesting case because... He is the number one on his team, but yet he was drafted in the third round. He's producing like a wide receiver one, but he doesn't have that value. And the question is why? And the reason why is because he's Amaral St. Brown. He ain't AJ Brown. He right. ain't CeeDee Lamb. The community doesn't love him the way they love those guys. And part of that is just understanding the value of how people view these players and these wide receivers and capitalizing on that in your drafts. And we've seen this in the startup so far. So for me, Jefferson Chase, AJ Brown, Lamb, that's tier one and tier two and everybody else after that. Okay. Well, I'll tell you this much. I get where you're coming from too. And I think honestly, you make a very good case about the trade values. And here's what I am. I've been talking about this ever since really this year, you know, there was probably some split on how running backs and wide receivers were being valued this off season. Right. Mike and I clearly were on the wrong side of the split with the running backs. (laughs) All right. So (laughs) let's go ahead and say that now in best ball, we've actually seen data that shows that you really do need the, the running backs that are the top 20, 30 guys because yeah. in best ball, you can roster the dog shit wide receivers that have weeks for you. Those those running backs that don't play at all, like in lineup, you want them because when they do play and you know they're going to play, boom, you're plugging them in the lineup, right? If Josh Jacobs went down, as much as Samir White's been horrible, if he's going to get 15 touches, people are going to play him. In best ball, 100%. I have him in best ball, and I promise you, I don't have him anymore because he's been cut. Like, I, or I trade him because he's gonna give you zeros. You can't afford that zeros in best ball every week, man. It's that's that's the diff. That's one of the big big differences in in uh, best ball and in lineup. But point is, once again, we were on the split, right? Wide receiver values now. I think it's pretty clear. Even if you didn't believe, now there's no choice. Like everybody knows what the market's gonna be, right? And I think what's mm-hmm. happening here, Jay Rich, what I'm seeing as a whole. Not necessarily talking about the direct point that you made with Waddle and with Hill, although I get it, and I also get it with um, T. Higgins and with Olave. But my, my thing is here as a whole with wide receiver values, like what I'm seeing, Jay Rich, and, and to get a little further down here, when I look at 
Jonathan Taylor going at 212. Well, you, is, sk- well, you you did skip over though the two oh seven that our our dear friend. Oh yeah, our, let's not our, our, let, let's not forget uh, about let's Michael. Over let's that, not right? forget about Michael. So, I actually think this part though is a good value. Like that's going to be the one oh one. So he takes the first kicker off the board um, of the draft. You can't see it, but trying to give you a little vision here. Uh, we're, we we're using kickers as placeholders for the rookie draft, which we will have later. Now, McNutted has Burrow, right? And he also takes then here the 101 in the 23 class. Now, we could debate who that's going to be. I think it's still going to be Bijan. I, I like some yeah. of the quarterbacks here, but and, and I, I'm not opposed to taking quarterbacks in knowing there's a value bump coming with just the fact that they're going to be starters. But Bijan, I think, offers a different ceiling that even if you'd like Bryce Young or you like CJ Stroud, they don't possess the ceiling of. Nope. what Bijan hits if he hits so that's just the when reality hits, of the right? two right because I mean look look what Brees Hall did before he got injured right and he didn't have the Bijan he, he was good we liked him but he didn't have the Bijan name right so they didn't have B, that hype no not if at all Bijan comes out of the gates like bright Brees Hall did man should be it, a first round pick right Brees wasn't even a first round pick he's right ultra producer Texas Longhorn been talked about since he was a freshman like Bijan Robinson has he's basically the next Saquon Barkley in terms of name value, cachet, what people expect from him, pass catcher, running the ball, like dude can do it all, and people are expecting that. And as you can see, Mike took him RB one off yeah. the board essentially because we're just putting Bijan in there. We expect him to be the number one pick. Right. He was the first running back drafted in this startup. Bijan Robinson, not even in the NFL yet, over Jonathan Taylor. Talk to people about that and how you feel about that pick. So I would say this, especially moving forward, I think here's the thing. When we talk about running back values and sometimes just player values, a lot of times Mike and I push back a little bit on players that are not being drafted and are not in the NFL yet. Like You're missing the time gap, and we also don't know what's going to happen with them in college if they're going to get hurt in all this. It's to the point now where 23 is around the corner. I mean, Bijan is not hurt. He's playing well. Like we're he starting play any more games. We're right? getting yeah, probably we're, skip the bowl game. Like, yeah, we're get, we're getting to the point where Bijan, outside of something crazy freak, is gonna be you know incredibly highly drafted in the NFL draft. Should be the first overall pick in your rookie drafts. Like it's here now, right? And now when we think about 23, I think this is the thing with Jonathan Taylor, right? You, you think about how running backs are valued. Him going into year four now, like he's the way running backs are viewed, man. He's now going to start getting creeping into that conversation we had with Travis Kelsey. As crazy as the sound, where running backs going into year four, year five, like you like them on your team, you need running backs for points, but they're you're never going to get this allure with Jonathan Taylor as a year four, year five running back that he once had. Where Bijan Robinson in his first year. Being if he's a first round pick, even if he's an early second, like he is gonna have that youth factor, three years difference in age. Thinking about what the off season is too, with how values are all youth. Everybody gets so young until yep. it's time to play. It's definitely Bijan right now in the way the startups are here, and it, it probably will be in majority of twenty twenty three. You know, startups. I, I think it's definitely the way it should be. Um, so you got Brees Hall. Or I'm sorry, uh, Bijan Robinson at two hundred seven. JT then the next one off at two twelve. But as a whole, I think what I'm getting at here is this. I understand it. I think it probably is what market will indicate. But 
I think that I've been pushing back on not necessarily that receivers are more valuable, but they're more valuable, I think, a lot last year when you're getting some of them at, at reasonable points because running backs still weren't completely cratered by everybody in the market. There were people that might believe that yeah. pushed them up the startup board. Now what you're looking at, man, is like when you look at this first two rounds, Jay Rich, and everybody listening, I've, I've named off the majority of these picks. Like you're looking at in these first two rounds outside of Bijan and JT, quarterbacks, wide receivers, and tight ends. So in this format, right, like you're forgoing age with Kelsey, but the tight ends premium is insane. You don't have to start one, but you're getting three points per catch. So I kind of understand the few there. The quarterbacks we already talked about, even if you don't like them, there's so few that matter. Like where are you going to go? You have to find the genos of the world. You have to find the replacement level points that's going to be so hard to pick. I love receivers, man. I, I've, I've admitted that there's definitely some insulation with these guys, and they're they're good. But yep. when you start when you start taking Jalen Waddle, especially like th- this is where you and I are on the same page. When you take Jalen Waddle at two hundred one, like there is no ch- there is a zero 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 percent chance that he goes anywhere up in dynasty value. Zero. He, he, his absolutely pro- zero. Zero percent. It's not possible. His production yeah. is maybe it is maybe, what it is. It's maybe, good. Maybe, maybe it goes up. Maybe Great it's still. Even. Maybe it's still, you know, top 10 like it's been. Two spike weeks, five consistent weeks. But, like, here's the thing, especially when I think about this from best ball, Jay Rich. Now, lineup, you want to make the case for a different scenario, I, I, I understand it. But when I look at just where you're taking Waddle, like, I, I, I look at so many receivers going, especially three, four, five here. They're all getting pushed up the board significantly, but I just feel so much better about not taking a wide receiver like Waddle, who's not Jamar Chase, one pick later. Like, there's a significant mm-hmm. difference to me in those two guys. Significant. So that's very that's, significant. That's where, like, to me, I, I, you I get take. I get behind. You got to take a quarterback there. You exactly, and, and, and especially it, doubling up at wide receiver, it just doesn't make sense. Like, I would so much rather have seen for B Hall there and. I will say he, he didn't do a bad job when we get down later to pivoting to finding decent quarterback replacement points or whatever, but to me, I think it would be much better for him if he would have went Jamar Chase and Trevor Lawrence. Like I would have much rather seen that than I would have seen Jalen Waddle. Ultimately, we'll see how it plays out. I've been wrong before, but the way I think about things and the way positional scarcity is, I think it would have much, made much more sense to do that. Um, anything else that sticks out for you, Jay Rich, in the second round before we dip into third? So there's one pick, Adam, we haven't talked about yet. You you sort of touched on it, and people are probably assuming, right, who this player is. But we didn't talk about the third tight end drafted. Third tight oh, end was drafted 211. And he, the next tight end drafted, well, we'll get into that. Next tight end drafted was at 5-2. Almost three round or full two rounds gap, a little bit more than two round gap between Kyle Pitts and at 211 and Dallas Goddard at 5-2. Adam. What the hell was Plant Crew thinking? He smashed his first pick. Josh Allen, easy, but comes back with Kyle Pitts. And I think the greater conversation is to be had here. Where should he have gone with this pick? After those picks, Jonathan Taylor, Chris Olave, T. Higgins, the 102, Stefan Diggs, Amara St. Brown, Drake London, 103. So in my opinion, while I don't love the pick, it looks like we're seeing a bit of a tear break here. 
Sure. And I think that's a conversation I do want to have. I don't want to just shit on the pick and say it was a terrible <laughs> pick. I don't I don't love the pick. I'm not gonna be I'm not gonna sugarcoat it. I don't think it was a great pick. Plank but crew is our boy Dynasty is, Alex, man. We 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 flamed right? him. Go, don't 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 hold back. We flamed him plenty for this. And we love Pitts. Uh you can't see it here, Jay Rich, because the angle, but I've got the unicorn that I made of, of Pitts. It's tough, man, but you gotta be real about things, right? Like you can't just live in this fantasy world that he's not hurt, yep. that he didn't produce, that we don't know what the quarterback situation is going to be. They're not quarterback in position to draft. Quarterback situation is not like, changing, right? Yep. I love long-term Kyle Pitts, but we have to be honest about what's going on. And when you go to 11, it's three-point per catch, man. But my problem here, Jay Rich, especially. He catching passes, bro. <laughs> that's the problem. Is <laughs> where, where are you getting that value? I get that he is probably still a long-term potential at some point to be incredibly special and different because of his age and his all his tangibles, right? He's just He's a receiver extremely long playing the position of tight end so that here it's incredibly value because basically you're like okay receivers but this receiver gets three points but the problem is to your point when's that going to be when's he going to be healthy when's the quarterback situation so you got to hold I think especially like if you want to plant your flag on pits and you're willing to kind of say I'm not going to win now I'm going to rebuild I'm going to slow play this I get it my problem is when I have Josh Allen at round two, I don't want to say now I'm going to slow play. Like I, 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 when I have Josh Allen, a lot of times I'm going to say I'll still draft flexible, right? I'm not going to necessarily go draft someone old to force my hand, yeah. but I want to give myself the chance to contend right now. I don't need to punt in round two when I have Josh Allen because mm-hmm. Kyle Pitts is not going to probably help you in warp as much as I like the guy as a talent. He's he, probably not going he to help ain't. you at warp. He, we don't even know when he's going to see the field again. And we saw but when not- he's, He'll be back. He'll be back. It's only an MCL sprain. He'll be like next season. He'll be fine, right? But I yeah, mean, to your but, point, it's it's the this season. He's been awful. Like not not bad. I'm not, not saying he won't play next decent. year. I'm saying he's done awful. for this year, right? Yeah, I, he's done. I, I don't know. I think he'll play week one. I think he'll probably be fine during the summer. But like fine. we're still oh, yeah, looking at we're still looking at the same quarterback situation potentially. We don't know even if they move on from Mariota, they go to Ritter. Like what do they do at quarterback? It's an uncertainty. Points per game, yeah. I'm worried about him. Long term, I love him, but I'm not doing it at 211. To who I would have pivoted to, Jay Rich, I think there's a, a multitude of guys I would be okay with. Um, to your point, there's okay. a tier break, though. Like, you either go, you, you, I could see you go in JT, honestly. The next I'm fine pick, with JT. I'm could, fine with it. At that I'm, point, after him is where I'm kind of like, oh, I don't know, right? Yeah, you could lean into it with JT, be like, all right, I got, he's not the sexiest value in Dynasty, but it's, Jonathan Josh Allen, JT. Right. It you start there. It sounds a lot better than Josh Allen and Kyle Pitts. You know what I'm saying? Even in a tight end premium. And when you think about startup values this offseason, there were scenarios where Josh Allen and JT were picked back-to-back picks in certain drafts, right? Like, yep. you got to be loving that. Now, I-, I would say this. The next tier here is where I really struggle because you're looking at these receivers, right? To your point, I think even further. Like you were right about Alave. We we talked about that on draft day. He, he's been yeah. a value. He's I still have Garrett Wilson ahead of him as wide receiver one in the class. Um Bruni and I are on That's the same fun. page. Yeah, I know Mike's more on Alave, but I think there's a case to be made for either one. Lave's been a tremendous value for you where you drafted him, but when you start taking him at three oh one, Higgins at three oh two, Diggs at three oh four, Amon Ra three oh five, Drake London. Drake London especially at three oh six. So he, here's my thing, Jay Rich, especially like Drake London, I'm gonna get to this because I'm doing the pits thing. That's why I went to this point. Like, So Drake Lennon doesn't offer the points per game difference that Pitts does. 
he, he's had a couple spike weeks or whatever, but we still, it's the same situation for him. Mm -hmm. I love him and long-term dynasty. Like I do pits, but 306 here, like I, I think this is not the smartest pick at 306. I think a lot of these receivers in this range, you're burning pick here. And it's to your point, like you're not in a position to do much. That's awesome. But like, I don't think yeah. this is anything that makes your team some warp great team in any of these ranges. For me, I, I would I would say I would go either Taylor or I would have maybe even taken, like to be honest here, man, I, I would have considered taking the next rookie pick and not only because it keeps okay. you flexible, but that that could be just a chip to move all offseason and also one of these quarterbacks that right now when you look, man, right, Trey Lance is gone and they don't go until what, 4-10, right? And the next quarterback, for whatever reason, is pick it off the board. So, Yikes. Right? Like you're looking at a top 10 quarterback there. You secure your other quarterback. I think that's better even than taking pits here. So there's a couple of different ways I would go. I probably would have taken the pick or I would have taken Taylor. But what do you think? So it's tough, right? Because we talk about warp difference makers. And one of those players is Stefan Diggs, right? Like Stefan sure. Diggs has a weekly ceiling that we see. It's massive. He's a two touchdown threat weekly. He's a 12 to 14 target guy some weeks. 10 plus receptions warp monster and you can't say that really about anyone outside of maybe Amara St. Brown in this cluster of players the one two is fine but here's my beef with 102 okay. right spit it to me man tell me the quarterbacks we talked about we ended with Trey Lance we didn't go anywhere till Kenny Pickett the only two notable players that produce in my opinion are Kirk Cousins and Derek Carr Derek right. Carr is awful right now. So no one wants Derek Carr. Kirk Cousins is that ugly stepchild of a quarterback that people will draft because he will produce. And, you know, he does have Jefferson tied to him, which helps a ton. And then there's Pickett, who has been fine. You know, I don't like Pickett much myself, but maybe next year with an offseason of learning the system and, and being more comfortable, still has tremendous weapons around him. I don't know where to put Bryce Young and CJ Stroud. In that spot, I'm assuming they're the, I'm assuming they're the one on two, one on three, somewhere around there. Some quarterback is going to be one on two, one on three, no doubt. And so all those picks there, we had the one on two at three two. What's that? Three three. We had the one on three at three seven by Mike. So he has the one on one and the one on three, one on four at three ten, and the one on five at three twelve. So all those rookie picks, mm -hmm. we're looking at Jameer Gibbs and maybe Jordan Addison, CJ Stroud, Bryce Young, maybe Anthony Richardson, maybe Will Levis. So the problem for me, though, Adam, is like, I don't want those rookie quarterbacks at all at that value. Give me a Stefan Diggs, Namara St. Brown, and T. Higgins. Well, these are players I'm not all in on. I know exactly what I get in those players. And those players do have value in best ball. And for some of these teams, that was their wide receiver one. And so you need to have some security there at wide receiver one. I think, okay, so I think you make a good point. And let me give you, I think Dynasty Degenerates, this is actually a very good conversation. I got a feeling the way we're talking, this is going to be a long one, so strap in. Because um, we're going to keep going here. But let's just say this, man. I think this comes down to how you are as a Dynasty manager, the way you view things, and the way you're willing to trade. Because for me, I'm 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 with you, but I'm also the way I view things. I know how long the off season is, and I know how much. Even though this twenty three class has kind of bled some value lately, I know how hyped for oh yeah four or five months. 
Like, 23 is all that people are going to talk about. There's no football being yeah. played. So, it's going to go combine. It's going to go draft. They will value insane. And here's what I'd look at, especially, Jay Rich. And, and this is one thing. I know that I don't want to take too much of this conversation on this show because I know next episode we're going to have Mike, myself, and Ray on talking a lot of the quarterback stuff. But this is one of these intrinsic things for me where – like I'm with you. If you're if so let me say this uh more concisely. If you're a dynasty manager that's not a super trader, you're not someone that trades avidly, you like to just get your pick, you're not someone that makes a bunch of moves with trades, I, I'm I'm a thousand percent with you. You're probably safer to take the upside at the receiver and just keep locking down your lineup. But if you're someone that really likes to trade and, and kind of move off of values and how the, the dynasty clock is, here's what you got. You don't have anyone else taking a quarterback till 410. So now here's what happens in startups, right? We're looking at this today and we're, we're kind of, we're basically micro analyzing this and it, it's fun. Mm-hmm. But here's what's going to happen these values will be forgotten about. The class yeah. will come and people that have not taken quarterbacks appropriately that think they can contend are going to be talking about Bryce Young. They're going to be talking about CJ Stroud. My plan, probably if I'm him, is not really to hold him. Part of the problem is you don't know that you can move him. The way I dynasty, the way I think about things, I feel very strongly that I can move him, get a receiver back, get a quarterback back, and have replaceable points at both where I can move him from mountains. Because basically when you're talking about this, Pickett goes at 410, Cousins goes at 412, Derek Carr goes at 512. The significant drop in value, Jay Rich, right now from a lure at quarterback to where you get in this middling tier is so far, I think I can trade this for a haul at the right time. That's my thing. You So I'm definitely with you, but the problem is, is that while we love this class, I think Bryce Young is great. He won the Heisman Trophy. CJ Shroud fucking gagged the Heisman Trophy away two years in a row. But the problem is here is we love these players, but us, the Destination Devi community, the Heisman tier members who talk about this every single day, and that's why you should join. Right. We know that these guys do not have the ceiling necessarily of even a Deshaun Watson, of no. a Justin Fields, of a Kyler Murray, of a Trey Lance, of a Dak Prescott, of a Trevor Lawrence. Maybe, if we're lucky, they get to that ceiling. And we just named off 12 to 14 quarterbacks. And they're being drafted as the QB 14, QB 15, QB 16. So, Adam, this is a question I have to ask you. Is that, yes, the pick value is great. But if you but if you're drafting them kind of around that ceiling, that value ceiling, mm-hmm. what do you do with that pick and how do you move that? Because to me, yes, 102, 103, 104, 105 is great, but I'm not I don't know very many people who are moving the 103 for T. Higgins straight up. Sure. And would you make that move, right? Would you move your 103 straight up for T. Higgins, knowing it's probably CJ Stroud or Bryce Young? Is that enough for you? And I think on the other side, is that enough for the T. Higgins owner? And would they make that swap? Great, great question. And I think that this is where lineup and best ball are so different for me because I think in best ball, like to, to answer your question, I, I would I would say no, like directly to the T Higgins thing. So what I like to do in best ball, especially when I have this scenario, like I like to kind of exploit all the things we talk about on 4D here. So Dynasty Generous, kind of kind of walk with me through this because it's a great question. I like that you asked it this way. My target's not going to be T. Higgins. My target's not going to be these guys that went a few picks later that I could have gotten at receiver, 
right? I, and I'll, I'll be telling people in this if they try to offer this to me. I, I could have taken T. Higgins. No, I'm good. Like, I, I want the quarterback. What I'm going to do is I'm going to shoot lower, right, at receiver mm-hmm. and perceive value, kind of use some warp data, try to get some receiver values based on age, right, that are going to give me a lot. The dynasty value is going to be a lot lower. Spike weeks and consistency weeks should be in the mix with these other guys. And then I'm going to get one of these crusty quarterbacks back. I think that you have a scenario where you end up getting the two players for someone that's freaking out about their quarterback value. They go get their Bryce Young. They go get their CJ Stroud. You're secure. This is a top 10 pick. That ceiling, we, I let I leave on their doormat. And then I'm, I'll am i add a piece. So that that's, even if they want to go two for two, I'll add some piece way later that makes them feel like they – got something back but ultimately i'm getting like let's call it uh let, let me look at the draft here jerry to give to give everybody some actually examples so like brandon Ayuk at 612 i think he his value is significantly different than these third round guys mm-hmm. and, and i'm not saying brandon Ayuk's the greatest but when you look at consistency weeks and spike weeks we talk about best ball brandon Ayuk, even with all those pass catching weapons even with lance gone right he's giving you two spikes and four above average weeks J. Rich, that's not any different than like Amon Ross St. Brown at one and five. So mm-hmm. I think that's where you kind of exploit the best ball strategy here for me, where I would go lower on receiver, get a quarterback back, and then here's your CJ Stroud, here's your Bryce Young. That's the type of deal I'm targeting, and that's the type of thing I'm looking to exploit. Because in lineup, people are going to be like, no way, I'm not doing that. But in best ball, I think that's something you can play up to the advantages here. So I know that uh, to, to the answer to the first question, I'm not going to do that for the T. Higgins type trade, but I'm looking mm-hmm. to do, I'm looking to get a good quarterback that's being drafted way later. I'm getting a good, a good receiver that's drafted way later, and I'll give you your prize, your shiny piece at the right time in that quarterback. Yeah, no, for sure, and that's and that's where this whole concept started with you and Mike, right? And now it's evolved to the point where we play in leagues where a trade like that is impossible. That's true. Because everyone's trying to do the same thing. In Royal Rumble, it's very hard to get that done. Very good point. In Royal Rumble, you you ain't making – no one's trading up for anybody, right? (laughs) It doesn't matter who you got. Unless you're trading Patrick Mahomes or Josh Allen, and even still guys are asking for King's Ransoms that nobody's got. So we even play in leagues where it's like, okay – where does that strategy start? And now how do we evolve it further? How do we take 4D and make it 4D squared, right? Yeah. Because that's the strategy now that in this league, we've all employed. We are No one is tearing up for anybody. No one is trading multiple best ball assets for a singular asset. Everyone's going the reverse way. So now, Adam, I'm just curious if you have, a, if you've had ideas about this, obviously yeah, you're kind of, of rebuilding in this league. How do you approach a league like that now because everyone knows what you're trying to do and everyone's trying to employ a very similar strategy? And like we talked about earlier, the differentiator for a lot of teams have been the stacks because that's what separates the good teams from the bad teams. It's the stacking potential, the immense upside of a stack. And how would you combat that knowing that Yes, your 103 is very valuable, but no one's going to give you this player, this player, this player, because they know they need that to succeed in the league as well. Great question. Um, loving where this show's going. This may end up being a long 4D one, and that would make it 4D because Mike and I sometimes have gone incredibly long too. Here's what I'll say. Th- this is man, this is good stuff. 4D squared. I like what, what's going on here. 4D squared is this. So in that scenario, right, if you're getting – I think – one of the one of the hard things to put a like finite value on when you're talking about 4D is a lot of it is 
been intrinsically based on what's happening in your league, right? I can sit up here, Javis can sure. sit up here and tell you about like all the things we think, our mindset, generic values, even the startup, right? But this isn't your league. When you talk about knowing your league mates, that's that's such a big point that you're making here. And if everyone's like tuned into 4D and everyone's tuned into Scott and, and we're Dynasty Degenerates, you're in Destination Devi's Discord, like you're gonna know. Like people are on top yeah. of shit, right? If you're in that type of a league and everybody's trying to get these teardowns, I'll tell you what happens and what I've I, I'm trying to remember one specifically in Royal Rumble. I know the last one I did was this. What you end up basically having to do is People are going to try to down tier so damn hard because they think it's the yeah. cool thing to do that you basically are going to try to craftfully up tier. So what I mean yeah. by that is they're trying to down tier so hard that you're going to actually give a three for two, but you're two players back. Like if you did this in a lineup league, people are going to freak the fuck out. So yeah. what you're doing is is you're basically playing up the fact that the manager doesn't have enough depth. They think they need to tear down. And you're going to take the two pieces back that make more sense for the three. So in this scenario here, I'm trying to think of a, a good one with this. I mean, if I have 103, I'm not probably going to up tier. But Jay Rich, let me let me tell, let me spit it to you this way, right? If I'm okay. going to up tier, let's pretend that this is the off season. Let's talk 23. So let's say I take this pick, whether I've taken it or not. It's projected, let's say, to be C.J. Stroud. Let's say C.J. Stroud is the first quarterback off the board. Gets a, gets a good landing spot, top five. People are very excited. So he gets a bump in value as far as the perceived value. Here's what I'm doing in this scenario this. Okay, what's it going to take for my C.J. Stroud to get me into Trevor Lawrence, to get me into Kyler Murray, to get me into Joe yeah. Burrow? That's the scenario where I think you kind of play what your league mates are doing. And I love that question because that is so – what's so nice about this is you can kind of spin it a couple of different ways. I think typically based on average dynasty managers – even in your dynasty degenerate leagues, you're probably better off trying to tear down. But if yeah. it's if it's one of these crazy leagues where you can't tear down, this this is an exploited tactic and it's not happening. Shoot, I like the upside of CJ Stroud and all, but let me get up into this elite tier. What's that going to cost? And if it's cheap enough, here I will take. You can have my like Chris Olave type. You can have my T Higgins type. You can have my Amon Ross St. Brown type. I'll go down to Brandon Ayuk, get replacement level points again. And now I'll yeah. go get the, the stud quarterback, and I am loving life. Mm -hmm. No, and I, I think you hit on a great point here. And the reason why I brought it up is because we saw this happen, right? It, over the past couple of years, everyone was like, oh, in a startup, trade down, trade down, trade down, get value, trade down, trade down. And then last season and the year before, you couldn't trade down. Do you know right. why? Because the moment you hopped in any league, everyone was like, my first round picks on the block. Who's going to come get it? And nobody would trade for a first round pick. Nobody. And calling. so like Scott's talked about now it's well, let's rethink this a little bit. Everyone's trying to trade down, but, and we hit on this early. If you can get a top six quarterback, do that by any means necessary, because it will set you up for future success. And you need to have a player like that to succeed, whether it's best ball lineup having that security in a super flex league at the quarterback position is essential and so i'm glad that you brought the quarterback position in here because that's really where it starts you're not tearing up really at running back it's a smaller move you want to tear down get assets all this stuff but at quarterback if we're talking about do you draft a cj stroud at 103 or a bryce young at 102 if you can tear up and use that player you have to do that by any means necessary as ray would say yeah it's true and i think especially given the 
uncertainty of when you get into these middling quarterbacks, right? Like, I'll down tier if you're going to give me the right piece. If you're saying I'm going to come pay for CJ Stroud because I think he's a top tier guy, but if that's not the scenario, I mean, you're talking about how few and far between these elite ones are. Basically, if you don't do that in a scenario like that, if it's if it's a very much down tier league, everybody wants a down tier so it can't happen. If you don't try to tear up there, you're basically putting a lot of stock in that you think C.J. Stroud or Bryce Young actually does have the elite ceiling. Now, yeah, I will admit, like, quarterback's one of the hardest to evaluate. And if they have the right mm-hmm. draft capital and they get to a good situation, like, we're seeing where two is going, right? Like, <laughs> I'm not going to sit here and say it's impossible that they get into the mix of this top 10 group, but I'm ra- I'd rather bet on the other side if the cost is cheap enough where I'll take yeah. the risk out of it and I'll go up. So... Really good conversations here. I think when I look at this, um, some of the points I, I want to make, Jay Rich, and I, I'm curious on yours here. Like, what what do you think of this third and fourth round as a whole? We can talk about a lot of the different picks, but I think this is where, like, I, I'm curious your thoughts, especially on the plethora of receivers going here. How eventually we start getting some running backs that go in round four. But where I think this is going to be one of the biggest polarizing talks about startups and how you roster construct, regardless of lineup or best ball, like where is the point, kind of that pivot point, that that point where your pressure point is, like, all right, the receivers are going. And where am I basically not getting myself any type of an edge by taking receiver? And even if you don't like running back, you don't necessarily have to take running back. You want to go into one of these quarterbacks, whatever. Like, where are you basically bleeding value and bleeding the opportunity to get any type of wins on your team because you keep drafting receiver, but they're all going. Like you said, you don't want to keep drafting at the top of a tier for receiver. So, like, when you look at this third and fourth round, you can kind of walk the dynasty generators through this. Like, how do you view these two rounds and, like, different players going here? Like, what are your thoughts about this? Because I think this is a very, very – interesting conversation we know how important the quarterbacks are that's kind of the first two rounds these two round three and round four are really interesting for me on how startups are going to be shaped in 23 so i think actually i almost feel the reverse i think that the third and fourth round are spots where you're not really going to make a ton of mistakes and the reason why i say that is because you I mean you look at the plethora of players chris Olave, t higgins uh, draft pick Stefan Diggs, St. Brown, Drake London, who you mentioned, you know, there's a bit of risk there, but I think the value will hold pretty strong. And that's more what I'm looking for with these third and fourth rounders. Can they hold value? Kenneth Walker, DK Metcalf, Garrett Wilson, like we mentioned, four first round draft picks drafted from 102 to 105 in this round. Then wrapping it around with Brees Hall, Travis Etienne, Saquon Barkley, Christian McCaffrey. So obviously, after Garrett Wilson, people felt like Brees Hall, ETN, Barkley, McCaffrey were worth more than Pittman, Adams, and Eckler, which I sort of agree with to some degree. Yeah, now, from a right. broad scope standpoint here, I look at it like this. We know what the running back tiers kind of are. We'd put JT in the upper tier, Kenneth Walker's in the upper tier. Maybe I don't really agree with that, but some people do. Brees Hall's definitely up there coming into next season, right? When sure. hopefully he's pretty close to healthy, playing, practicing. You're seeing him a bit. ETM, Barkley, McCaffrey, Eckler, I think all deserve to be somewhere around that top tier. But the wide receiver tiers, they're much higher. So I almost look at it like this, Adam. You have wide receiver tier one, wide receiver tier two. Then you get into the conversation of do you take a tier one running back or do you take a tier three wide receiver? 
And I think that's where the conversation starts. And you're seeing this shift. You're seeing, you know, a bit of tier three wide receivers mixed in with a bit of tier one, tier two running backs. And that's where people are having to make these decisions. Do you rather take a running back with a very high ceiling, a Brees Hall, an ETN, a Barkley, a McCaffrey, a Taylor, an Eckler, a Walker, like workhorses that have value? Maybe they're not value from the standpoint of longevity because they're older, but they have very high ceilings. Or you take the younger asset who does have value, has a pretty high ceiling and volume. And then you get into the Pittman's Adams, who I love, but is older. Eckler, Pickett, Debo Samuel, yikes. Then Kirk Cousins to round out the fourth round. That's the conversation here. But to me, the real money is made in identifying the wide receivers that aren't in the top 24, aren't in the top 15, aren't in the top 18, wherever your threshold is that you think can get there. And that's kind of what the strategy I've employed over the past few years is in rounds five, six, and seven, if you hammer the right wide receivers and you pick the right players there, especially the wide receiver position, if you believe they can get into the upper teens or even in the lower teens from the 20s and from the 30s, that's where I think you accure the most value of the wide receiver position. We know that the running backs are going to kind of always fall a little bit. We talked about the draft picks and their relative value to other players and how you work those spots. But I think when you hammer down wide receivers like Christian Kirk, Christian Watson, Juju Smith-Schuster, DeAndre Hopkins, Judy, Calvin Ridley, Deontay Johnson, Jahan Dotson, it doesn't feel like there's a ton of difference between those players. They yeah. all feel like they can do similar things. They have volume. They have ceiling. They have upside. But picking the right guy can literally make or break your season because with the right player, you can gain a ton of value. And so to me, in this wide receiver landscape, that's what makes the difference between a very smart and well-rounded team and a manager who knows what they're doing and a guy who is kind of uncertain, not sure what to do, taking too many running backs. But that inflection point is around about two tiers, I'd say about two and a half tiers. When you start to see a gap of about two and a half tiers between that wide that tier one wide receiver and that tier two and a half, tier three running back, that's when you should start considering taking those running backs over the wide receivers when you get that around two to three tier threshold. I, I like a lot of the the way you kind of phrased that and said that. I like that 4D. That's a 4D thing, like where you're trying to get the receiver six, seven, eight, especially that you think for whatever reason, there, there, there's a lot of reasons for the guys that are going in this range. Every year it's going to be different on the guys here, but it's either a youthful guy that maybe hasn't quite fired for a full year. You're waiting for it mm -hmm. to kind of really come to fruition. Maybe it's a guy that's older, but is going to give you production, but there's not that sexy appeal. Terry McLaurin type, right? Like you're, you're yep. trying to fire on these guys that are, are values depressed because of whatever their situation is. Now, I think when I think about that, too, that's exactly why for me, the combination of everything you said, being able to try to pick and select that guy at rounds later at a position that is deep enough to where you can keep drafting it for a long time. There's, there's guys that keep going down the list that you want to own in Dynasty. You may not feel awesome about the guys that you start getting into 8, 9, 10, but <laughs> everyone's going to roster them. You still want them. They're still going to hold Dynasty weight. So... To me, I think that's where for when I look at these rounds, right? In the third round, especially, like I don't necessarily have a problem with any of those picks in the third round. I understand why you're doing it. You don't want to basically get burned this this early. So you're doing that. It's, it's more of a safe play for a lot of these receivers. Drake London, I think, is probably the riskiest. I think, though, that his name yeah. and his talent probably makes it where he's supposed to go. 
Here's where I think it's for me. I, I I'm probably out on the receivers starting in the fourth right here, right? So the running back started to go ahead of them, but you're looking at you know Brees Hall at four hundred one. I think that's I think that's going to end up being a nice pick. Brees Hall at four hundred one yeah. just from I value like bump of injury. Even if you even if you're worried about the ACL, there's going to be Brees Hall's healthy. He's running. He's you know going to be. But the no discount though, Adam. Important to point that out. He was what the. F- if you take out Bijan Robinson, he was running back three. So you didn't really get a discount with the injury. Right. So it is for 2023, but there's no injury discount here. So I think that is important to point out to people. You took him pretty much at value. You know, he's, he's got upside, but you took him only behind Taylor and Walker, which isn't really saying a ton from a value standpoint. Correct. I think that, I think that's where the running back position is kind of interesting at the time right now where like, yeah, he is RB3, and you didn't really get a discount per cent RB3, but will the resurgence of the position happen at all? Will there be guys that were values? RB3 at 401 feels like you drafted him at the appropriate spot, but I think there's a scenario where that is a value bump in dynasty value. But I'm with you. For like sure. It's not a uh, – like you didn't get him at like RB6 or 8. Like you probably can exactly, right now in a exactly. trade, right? So I'm with you mm-hmm. there. Uh, ETN Barkley and McCaffrey go ahead. Then you get – all these rookies are going. And I like that because there's a value surge coming all offseason for, for rookies. But let me just count these out real quick. So we got Mike at 101, 102, 103, 104 going to third. So this is 105 and 106 going here before you get to that. All those picks I like. They're, they're going to accrue value. People are going to want those picks. My problem here, especially Jay Rich, when I take their rookie picks out though, like I know it was exciting this year for Pittman. And I, I still like the player, <laughs> all right? But, like, when I get to Pittman here in the mid-fourth, like, you, you talk about – Pittman. Well, not here I don't. Like, here's the problem, right? I'm taking him in the mid-fourth. So, the last receiver off the board is Garrett Wilson. Garrett mm-hmm. Wilson or Michael Pittman is not close for me in Dynasty Ain't Valley close. right now. And here's the problem I think you got to think about stuff like this. You talk about guys that are just drafting and guys that have a plan or what they want to do with their team – Garrett Wilson is coming off of a season where he did not have a quarterback and is going to have a, a fantastic rookie year. It's not going to be Jamar Chase or Jefferson, but we also are spoiled. That doesn't happen year in and year out, right? Wilson's having a great season. He's only a second-year player. Michael Pittman is going to be going into year four with – he's having an okay year this year. It's not horrible, but it's not what we were hoping for for Pittman's breakout, right? Matt Ryan has not been good. They put Ellinger in there. Now Ryan's back Saturday with this – you look at Pittman, he's had two spike weeks, right? Week one, and then he had week six where it was a spike week. But he's only had three above average weeks. I think that's the big thing that are, is being completely missed here. Okay, he has been a top five receiver twice. But outside of yeah. those two weeks, he's rendered useless. He's actually hurting your lineup by, by having him. So now mm-hmm. a guy like that that's going into year four, so the dynasty value is not going to be sexy. It's just I think this is a name – that right now is trending the wrong way that's being drafted here is a mistake. So I think this is kind of the range for me, at least, Jay Rich, where you can draft the right guy, you can take the right receiver, but I'm very cautious in this range, four, mid four, early four, round five, like which guy are you getting? And are you really doing anything but hurting yourself because you could probably get a guy with similar production or better upside in the next two to three rounds? I think that's where I start to have problems. You know, and Adams is one of the most polarizing because he's going to be going on thirty next year, but he's so damn good. So is he healthy? Too good. You're are you are you just willing to forego everything? It's almost like Cooper Cup's 
of this year, right? Like, had he continued to smash, people are going to be like, yeah, Cooper Cup, I don't care. Bam type. No matter what. Yeah. But as soon, but if Devontae Adams gets an injury next year, it all fucking yeah. goes out the window. So it's just risky, but I understand what you're doing here. But then Debo Samuel, like, though, I'm not doing that. Like, if you want to just plant your flag on, I'm going to go win it, and you're going to make the direction pick with Adams, go ahead and do that. But I'm not doing Debo. I'm not doing that. That, nope. is, the, that is where I think people will get really wrong about this wide receiver trend is taking the wrong ones too high because it's just like I don't want to take running back and shit. Dude, you hit on a big point here. So Pittman, I do want to touch on him a little bit because I'm a I'm a big Pittman detractor. I was the guy who said he doesn't deserve to be in the top 10. He's going to fall back down in value. Um, I do want to give him a little bit of credit though. So he had 129 targets last season. He's already got 107 in 12 games. Now, the biggest thing for him is yards per reception is down from 12.3 and 12.6 in his rookie year and sophomore year, all the way down to under 10 yards of reception. So obviously his dot is way down, but his catch percentage is up slightly. So that's where you see a lot less value. And like you mentioned, the spike weeks, they're not going to come when you're not scoring touchdowns. He's only got two this year in 12 games. So that's not going to help his case either. So again, it's it's when is this situation going to change? Clearly, he's shown to be a dominant force. I mean, he's on track for somewhere in the realm of 140 to 150 targets. Depending on how things should go for him, he should be at least over 130, 135, which we would take coming off a 129 uh, target season. Then you get into, well, he's not scoring touchdowns because Matt Ryan stinks. Well, there's not much we can do about that this season, but playing for the future, the future at quarterback for the Colts is one that is probably, of all the teams in the NFL, one of the most uncertain. 100 percent who it's 100%. gonna be it's not gonna be matt ryan next season I, is it sam ellinger fuck i hope not because he's terrible so who do they bring in do they draft somebody can they get Pittman the ball and the thing you hit on very very importantly i want to point this out it's exactly the same as the atlanta falcons we don't know who the quarterback's gonna be they're still drafted very high yeah, at least Pittman gets the targets, which to credit to him, he's got the targets, earned the targets, gets the receptions, yards, all that stuff. So he's producing, but not a difference maker because he doesn't have a quarterback who can make him a difference maker. And he's playing a lot like a slightly older Drake London, which again, both from USC, both big body wide receivers, the profile kind of writes itself. And then of course, Kyle Pitts, who was extremely overvalued because he's a tight end. But Outside of that, he does play very similarly. They're still in what I would imagine is a run-first offense with Jonathan Taylor at the helm, with Pittman being the main wide receiver there. It's tough for me to draft a guy like that over Adams when even though Adams is older, like you mentioned, those boom weeks, we've made him baller of the week three or four times because it's wide receiver one, man. Two touchdowns, 10-plus receptions, over 130 yards. Dude is just a straight baller. So it's so difficult for me to take a guy like Pittman over Adams. But then if you want to go further down the list, talk about Debo. Bro, Debo been overvalued for a while. He had one really good season, been hurt this year, outplayed by IU in terms of fancy production. Yes, he's been hurt, but that doesn't excuse the season. Right. So you can try and excuse it, but it's so difficult for me to take a guy like that when I know that what's going to change for him. He's been injured his whole career, all the way back to college, into his rookie season, into his second season in the NFL. So these guys are t- difficult. And I think the bigger point here, Adam, Kirk Cousins was taken 412. Even if I even if I don't believe in, De- in Debo Samuel, it's very hard for me to pass on Kirk Cousins there because of that tear break. Yeah. And I think even though that guy kind of messed up taking Chase and Waddle and Olave with his first three picks, Bailed out. I think that Kirk Cousins pick is a very good pick at 412. Well, see, and this is where he got bailed out and – 
it's one of those things. I, I will say this: we talked about how Jalen Waddle wasn't, in our opinion, the right pick at two hundred one, and I still agree with that. But I will say this: a lot of four D also is kind of zigging when people are zagging, right? And understanding sure. that, like, all right, Trevor Lawrence, Dak Prescott, like, I, I'm I'm perfectly fine taking that there, right? But you're already kind of what you're doing here is saying, all right, I'm not going to win at at QB. Like, maybe yeah. I get a replacement type. Like, maybe I'm still in the tier that's not shit, but I'm not going to make up ground on any of these other quarterbacks that went ahead. So, okay, let me go ahead and take these receivers. And in a scenario where you don't know what's going to happen, you can go receiver, try to get quarterback later, even if you don't get cousins. You can try to maybe just say, I'm going to punt for a year. These guys are all young, insulated wide receivers. I'll be positioned to get a quarterback next year. I get one more to pair with them. Like there's a scenario where you have a lot of different plays here, but then it falls into his lap. As much as you don't like the one, like I love Chase at 112. Um, Waddle yeah. at 201 is probably where I pause. Waddle and Olave at 301, it feels like you're kind of drafting them close to where their ceiling's going to be, right? That's my problem. But then if you could draw it up this way and you're like, all right, let me get these three stud receivers, but I still get cousins here. Mm-hmm. Because everybody it, else either took their... It feels gross, but the value seems really good for exactly. Kirk Cousins. Exactly. he's going to produce. Exactly. Because here's what happens, right? when After Lance goes, they're all the rookie picks because of the value in the, the 23 class or whatever. But nobody wants to take Cousins. So everybody that took the quarterback, at least one of them's like, I'm not touching quarterback. So it plays perfectly into his hands. This is one of those where you got to have the stones to do it. But it could work out for you as long as you have a plan and understand what you're going to do one way or the other, depending on how the draft goes, he's flexible there. I think that's the big point, right? Cousins is probably one of these values. And then when you look, that's what's crazy about Cousins. He's almost in this incredibly all-by-himself range of like, if I'm not going to get these quarterbacks the top 15-ish, if I can get Cousins in the fourth, in the fifth, whatever, like that's great. But then after that... Like maybe you're okay with Carr. I don't even know. Like, no, nah, man, you're not. After what, that, it's just so Adam, bad. It's so bad what's, after that. What's wild is that this tier used to be pretty big. There right. used to be Matt Stafford in this tier. There used to be Russell Wilson in this tier. There used to be Aaron Rodgers in this tier. The only person left in that tier now is Kirk Cousins. And, and, the, Kenny, and the Kenny Pickett that believers. Tier, right? That's it. That's the and only Ken- guys getting drafted there. Cousins and maybe you could make the case for Carr who went 5-12 after Cousins went 6-12. After that, the next quarterback didn't go all the way until 7-3 and it was Russell Wilson. What a fall, And there man. is no way you feel confident taking Russell Wilson. But now again, it's 7-3. So, so be it. You get some good players. He, he drafted some good players. I don't like the George Pickens pick, but, you know, everyone likes their George Pickens. Some people do, some people don't. But you think about the value gap, what you gain knowing that you're not stuck with Russell Wilson, Daniel Jones, Matt Jones, Matt Stafford, Geno Smith, and obviously it only gets worse from there. Yeah. So to get Cousins is just so vital for a roster with no QBs. And even all these other teams, Adam, and the only team that has two quarterbacks is the Patrick Mahomes team. He's got right. Patrick Mahomes in the car. Everyone else, Josh Allen, Hurts, Lamar Jackson, Herbert, Joe Burrow, Watson, Tua, or Tua, Watson actually does have Lance. And then Murray has Lawrence. Outside of that, none of them have two good quarterbacks. Right. Now, Mike can potentially get a quarterback with this pick, so he'd be relying on Burrow. He took some later. But it's just so difficult, even in best ball, to hammer the quarterback position and not have two guys that you really believe in week after week. And so I think getting a guy like Cousins in the fourth round, you know, early fifth round, is tremendous 
value. But understand, if you're targeting him, you and everyone else in that league are probably targeting him too because right. there's nothing left after him. Well, and you know what? That's so good. That's such a good point with him is that um, when you get to this range, right? Like he went 412 here, and I think this is where ADP's so good. Like Cousins, I think, is going to be so draft dependent where you see him because you could see the person reach. Like I could see Cousins in some drafts that people are reaching and scared about quarterback loss going like the late third or something crazy. I'm surprised he didn't reaching. go in the third, to be honest. But I could also see where like people just start forgetting. And it's like, you know, I'm just going value, value, value. Like Cousins, he's old. It's They maybe don't remember when they're doing these startups in the summer that Cousins is still a value because he's older. I could see maybe him even go a little further later. I think, though, that that's with, with him it's so weird because I think he has a wide range of outcomes to go. Like I think there's a scenario Absolutely. of like 15, 20 picks difference for him in draft to draft. Oh, like that's easy. not the case with some of these top tier guys. Like Chase isn't going fifteen picks different from each other. So with Cousins, if you're gonna fade quarterback, you really have to have the stones and understand like where your spot is to get him. And when you get there, like you better take him because he's gonna be the last one of this middle tier. Otherwise, what you have to do then is hopefully you got one of the elite ones. And you're basically going to kind of wait and you're going to basically stream, especially like in best ball, right? You're just going to stream. You're going to say like, like B Hall does it. And like, I'll take Geno Smith and Tannehill. It sounds disgusting, but you got to have some type of a quarterback to play, Hopefully, right? Yeah. I mean, and Geno Smith, like look at Geno Smith. Geno Smith was a 20th some round pick. Like nobody believed if in that, right? It's late. And now he's people are, are, are high on him. His warp was good. I mean, it's, I shouldn't say high, but he's in the eighth round, which is an insane value jump for him. When I look at some of these, man, Matthew Stafford going in the 8-8. Eight, eight. Now, this is maybe before you knew he was done for the year, how the Does spinal stuff's coming around. I I'll just say this, Does man. <laughs> I get it because quarterbacks are going so far down the list. I am not even sure Matt Stafford plays again. Like, I am to the point nope. where, dude, I have Retirement's on the table. I have it's a team. It absolutely yes. is, with the, especially with the situation. Um, I'm worried about him. Let me say this, man. I, what I want to do is kind of in in your mind and my mind here, get a couple players, get a couple thoughts, processes here to kind of round things out in the sixth to maybe the ninth, tenth, if you want to go even that far. Some ideas, players you like here, thoughts on values, thoughts on um, what you would do in these rounds, depending on what your direction is, and then ultimately kind of kind of summarize looking at you know when we talk about some of these rounds here where, where you think the 23 class kind of fits in and do these rookie picks actually make sense where they went kind of talking briefly about you know predicting we know a lot about it like we in destination heavy we do there are mocks all the time on this class we're starting to yeah. get more and more data like do these picks that we kind of brushed over earlier do they make sense and then also like put some names to it real quick before we get out of here to think about like 23. Cause here's the thing, 23, we've hyped up for two years, but it's here now. Like yeah. it's literally going to be around the corner. Where are these players going to be going in startups and what is their worth when you come to take these rookie picks? So I think that's kind of what I want to touch on is like six to 10. Are there players that sticking out to you strategies, people you want to target here or not? And then also like do the rookie picks make sense as, as kind of the, the wrap up here. So I think there's two conversations to be had here is the discussion of the picks, which to me have a completely different value than the players, right? We always talk about a pick is infinitely more valuable until you attach a player to that pick and instantly 
maybe even in the case of Bijan Robinson, he's probably the only one who isn't in that case where that that player, when they're attached to the pick, will lose value. A thousand percent. That's a thousand percent correct. So we talk about how curing picks before the draft is great because they will probably increase in value. You'll have people like me, people like you, people like Ray, people like Matt Kelly, people like whoever, name an analyst hyping up their favorite sleeper, their favorite dark horse, their favorite late second round pick, their favorite first round pick, Plant, whoever. Planting right? the flag on this rookie. Yes. There'll be more flags planted in this season than you've seen ever in your entire dynasty career. <laughs> so the biggest thing here is that when you talk about players and Ray's talked about this a lot, he's not so concerned with the top half of the draft, potentially even the top eight picks where we're really focused on. And we did this a little bit this year as well, depending on who you talk to, who you listen to. We're looking to kind of trade down to some respect in the middle of the draft. We're using that 4D approach, recurring value, because the biggest thing here with these players is that there's not a lot distinguishing the talent at running back and wide receiver, especially from around, I'd say, 108 all the way down to about 212. What's going to change for these guys will be draft capital and situation. And then we will draft guys based off of that because the talent profiles, the production, there's a lot of players that could fall in that range that have the upside, that have the talent, have the pedigree, all the things we look for in a prospect. But placing them there right now could train could change a lot. Could Kendra Miller end up being a second or third round pick in a great situation and hop you know, into the first round? Ray's saying he's a right. guy that basically is almost a top five running back for him. Then you have a guy like Zach Evans, tons of talent, but got overtaken by a freshman this season who is probably, you know, running back one right now in 2025 in Quintet Judkins. So there's so many things that could happen. I think that we need to understand that the picks have tons of value. Trying to put a player to that name right now is going to change because there's so much going to happen between the draft, the evaluation, and ultimately the capital and situation of these players that will help them fall within order. But you want to have as many shots and bullets in the chamber as you can. And so while I'm totally for taking these picks, taking high draft picks, I think you ultimately want to try and get as many shots as you can because the more shots you have, the better chance you have at getting some of these prospects that can provide depth for some of our rosters. And in best ball, Depth is everything. So if you can yeah. accumulate multiple of these players that can be difference makers, and that's the big thing with 23 class, it's deep and they will there will be difference makers in this class. And so for me, having as many shots in the chamber as you can have at some of these players like we saw this season, you draft Damian Pierce, you draft Rashad White, and then sometimes you draft Zamir White and Isaiah Spiller. And those are two very different outcomes, regardless of whether you're playing in a lineup league or a best ball league. And all those players, for the most part, were second round picks. They went anywhere between 202 and 210, and sometimes even beyond that for some of those guys. And it just depends on who you picked, when you picked them. And that's why we stress diversity. We stress portfolio management. We stress picking your guys at times, but also making sure you do go after various assets to try and diversify that portfolio. But I think the bigger thing here is that those picks will definitely gain value. But if you're planning on holding some of them, understand that you're not going to necessarily know who and what that player will be until the draft evaluation and ultimately the situation plays itself out because that will be so key at differentiating a lot of these guys. Glad you put it that way, man. And um, it's funny because I'm going to use this startup to give you an idea of guys, these second round running backs, especially last last year. Now, l- let's admit this: 22 was very different than 23 is. Um, now, 22 ended very. up having some some very good gems. People that these wide receivers have been pretty good in 22. A lot of them, right? 
Now, the 22 running back class, though, we knew was shallow. So you, you have very different in where they're currently going in startups today and where you took them in that second round, right? So, like, I'm looking here. Zamir White and Algier, they go at the 16-12 and the 17-1 turn, right? And then you got Isaiah Spiller going to the 16-03. But you look at, like, man, you talk about these second-round picks. Well, first of all, Pacheco was going much later, right? He's a fourth-rounder, undrafted. Exactly. He's he's at the 11th round, right? So that's like an idea of how different some of these values are. Damian Pierce, 702. Like think about for a second. The 702 is Damian Pierce and the 1701 is Amir White. Now, I'll admit you know, Damian Pierce went ahead of Amir White quite a bit in, in draft, but it's you know, a probably a 6 to 7 spot difference Half and you're trying to shoot gap. for the same thing, you know? Mm-hmm. You're talking 10 rounds, man. And startup values, and and the big thing is not just ten any rounds, right? Ten rounds from seven to seventeen is gigantic. Seventeen rounds, hundred and twenty selections. You're, you're talking in that gap, though, man. When you get to like fifteen ish, sixteen ish, you're just shooting a complete dart. You are praying there are warts, problems, scenarios where everything goes wrong and they go zero in that range. Um, another one here is Rashad White, who's at the eight ten. Right, like you're talking yep. significant difference in some of these players, which is a good point on understanding the players and the pick differences. And I think that's where one thing I'll say with Mike's draft is when you look at it. I mean, if you don't understand the forty process or what are you probably going to try to do here, you're going to look at it and be like, okay, got Joe Burrow, and then it's like, okay, Evan McPherson, Tyler Bass, Mac, who he's take what are these kickers oh these are all the rookie picks okay so he just doesn't have any players and people are going to probably people are going to look at that and be like man what is he doing i'll tell you this man it may or may not be something you should practice at home if you don't know what you're doing if you're not (laughs) strong if you're not going to have diamond hands because if you take to your point man if you take all those picks oh you're losing maybe you're losing maybe you are the absolute goat and you land them all and you happen to just Dodge all the landmines, but odds are very far against that. And if you yeah. take all of those picks, you're kind of hoping and praying. You're probably just bleeding all the value you took by getting the picks. The whole idea is pivoting off of them in a, in a, in a point where there's no football being played and you have the position of leverage that you can manipulate when everything is hype season. It's all these rookies and everyone wants to get youthful. So with these picks, I'll say that I'm with you there, Jay Rich. Um, I'll be interested to see, honestly, like when I start looking at this, right? So 101, I think is a great value. I honestly think Bijan will probably go ahead of the 207 um, once yeah. the draft comes around. Probably. You know, 102, 103, 104, 105 in the third round. I don't know, man. 102, 103, 104, 105. Like 105 in the it's third strong. round, I think is where it's it, it'll be interesting to see if that actually happens. Um, I think the first three picks – just because of Bijan and the two quarterbacks are going to be going higher than people think. And to your point, we kind of already t- touched on that. But I think after that, you got to understand what's going to happen in this class, right? We we know that B- Butte went back. I think that's something I did want to discuss here is Yeah, Butte went back. So Butte going back to LSU, I think also lowers the amount then, of receivers. Go ahead. I was just saying and then Arich declared, right? So you kind of yeah. got you got Rich may go back, but you got Butte going back. So it's kind of like now we just looking at Jordan Addison, JSN, and um and QJ 
as the top receivers. Butte was originally in that, you know, mix for top four, top five, and now he's not going to be in that list. So it makes it a little bit, a little bit thinner. But you know, you still got Quinn Johnson, still got Addison, still got JSN, depending on how you feel about him. But you're not getting the upside of what a, B- a Butte could be now that he's returning to college. And, and I think that's the big point here is that. Like, I, I'm with you because here's the thing. We got A-Rich here, right? And A-Rich, a- let's call it what it is. I love the kid. I love the upside. But I think there is a – I'm hopeful it pans out. But Grand take, Canyon range of outcomes. Right. You have That's the thing. And Matt Bruning and I talked about this on our AMA show a couple of days ago. You have to be willing – if you're going to take Richardson, like if he gets first-round draft capital and you're going to take him in that mix of guys that really matters in this first round, you got to have diamond hands. Because you don't know how it's going to go. There is a very, like you said, Grand Canyon range of outcomes. If it's bad, if you get to the Valley, the worst thing you can do is sell at the Valley. And and here's the thing. Even if he completely flops, selling there, all you did was just bleed all the value you took him at. Because you're not going to get much back that matters. So you got an additional quarterback dart here. It's very much boom bust in Richardson. I see a scenario where he is is tremendous because of his legs. And if he develops his arm... Awesome, but the floor is horrible. Let's make, it, let's make it really simple, right? Justin Fields this season is the perfect example. He was awful. He was left for dead. I tried to trade him for Zach Wilson and was declined <laughs> multiple times. Oh, my goodness. Adam, I could not trade Justin Fields for Zach Wilson like maybe six weeks ago. And now he was drafted at the 109 in a startup draft. Back then, back when he was in that valley, he he's in he's probably behind Russell Wilson. He's probably behind he's in Zach Wilson land who went at 11-7 in this draft and he's all the way up now at 109. You know what? That's this, that's a great call. That's, that's the range of outcomes. If you're saying if you have to if you draft him you have to sit on him and yes. be willing to eat him being a complete bust because right. if you traded Justin Fields in that valley. Oh. You, you're ready to jump off a bridge like you're hating yourself but again it looks so bad and out of nowhere it just clicked right we it's, don't know why it just did yes and it just made sense and he played you know he's played about what like 16 games now or so jalen hurts same situation kind of when he started to play around 16 games he started to see things slow down things got better but that's what it takes patience with yes. all these quarterbacks especially these raw guys trey lance is another perfect example He's drafted super high. He's only played two games in the NFL. That that's he still the thing, needs man. to develop too. That's the thing. I, and I, I I love Trey Lance, the prospect, but man, you're talking about a guy that played at a small school, right? So there's already Vision like two. there's already kind of this, you know, quality of defense that he played against concern. And then we don't see yeah. him play for a year. And then he, there's the COVID year where he had a dre- or dress rehearsal game, right? One and game. then you and then you have him playing out a, year. A, a game in the rain and then getting hurt. Like Trey, Trey Lance in 206, like, listen, the upside is still there. I, I agree. But, man, this is a giant question mark. I think the, the, the Niners have too much invested in him for him not to just you – know, I don't think he's going to evaporate. I think he's going to be good. I think he still has upside. But it's a giant question mark with Trey Lance. That, that kind of speaks to the whole landscape of the quarterback's position. But but here's what I'll say, man, with these with these picks, right? The, the wide receiver push, and this is the one corollary I've, I've talked about with the class, uh, and this is before Boutte didn't ended up going back. The wide receiver push, th- this is where this, this crossroads is so strong. Dynasty Jones, one of the points I want to leave you with before we get out of here, and I, I'm not saying this is the last point. 
there is a crossroads right now, right? It's this wide receiver push, and everybody's afraid of running back, and I'm not saying that it shouldn't be the case. This is what the market is. But 23 has been hyped up for forever, and a lot of that was built into the running back position, right? So now you have a class that was not the greatest at receiver that lost one of its top four weapons at the receiver position. You're talking about JSN, Addison, Quentin John, like there's guys to like, but it's it's not as deep, anywhere near as deep as 22 last year or as 21. Like there's just not as much oh, yeah. deep receiver class. So what's interesting is with the push of all these receivers going way up the board, like Bijan and Gibbs, they're probably the two that make a lot of sense at running back. But like if you're going to take some of these running backs at 107, 108, you're kind of, I think, inherently planting your flag on that position at, a, at in a sense because – Look at where the running backs are going, man. When you talk about this 6-10 to 10 range, right? Like, you're getting to Stevenson, Jacobs, Javante coming off the injury, Pierce. Najee Harris went from a first, second-round startup pick to a seventh, right? Like, there is a – Dalvin Cook, I, this, the, it, I want you to understand the age thing, too. Alvin yeah. Kamara for a second, 805. Dalvin Cook, 904. Aaron yeah. Jones, 905. Dynasty Generous, if you've stick, stuck with us and you're hearing this, you're probably a little shocked. Like, I know they're getting older. Ninth round. And wow. every rookie will be over those guys. Every single one. one yes. Once you get past Nick Chubb and DeAndre Swift, who went at 5'9 and 5'11, you're going to see a massive influx of all these rookies. Whether yeah. it's Kendra Miller, Zach Evans, obviously Jameer Gibbs, B. John Robinson, like, plenty of guys who can fill that void and will prop into that value range potentially over a Joe Mixon over a Javante Williams he was a first round startup pick this season right Josh Jacobs who is RB1 right now <laughs> Ramondre Stevenson who will be the lead back for the New England Patriots playing like an RB1 right now like there is so much reason to doubt the class but the reality is they will get propped up there those picks are probably worth that value. But once those running backs are drafted, all bets are off and it's about production. And so it's navigating that, Adam, like you're saying. But it's going to be interesting because this running back class is deep. There's lots of holes to fill at running back in the NFL. They yep. need an influx of running backs pretty badly. Horrible. And all these guys will be valued very highly in startup drafts. And for me, it's difficult to pick the right guy in a startup because construction is so important. But in a rookie draft, when you have picks, it's easier to call your shot because you understand how your team is constructed. But when you're drafting these guys, round five, round six, round seven, those are pretty close to foundational players for your team. For sure. And there's a lot more risk in a startup. So it's important to understand the risk of the pick versus the player and what that means going into this offseason. Yeah, a, a thousand percent. I think... You know, that that's kind of one of the bigger takeaways I wanted to get to at the end. And I'm glad that, you know, unscriptedly, Jay Rich is on board and is is very 4D here at the end because that's exactly the point is I love running backs. You, you know that I've loved running backs. Yep. There's an affinity for Mike and I on them. But understand, like, where you're going to be drafting them in rookie drafts, where the position is right now as a whole, and, like, we're talking about here, like, I know that there's a lot of running backs in this 23 class that are better prospects than Zamir White, Tyler Algier, Isaiah Spiller. But understand, like, if it doesn't go right for some of these rookies, if you plant your flag and you don't trade, the bottom can fall out because of the position where it's at, right? And, like, it's – you've got to be careful 
with where you're drafting some of these running backs and understanding where the position is as a whole in Dynasty, as much as I love them, and I'm going to take a lot of these guys, you have to understand the risks that are inherently here. And then also, I think one of the big takeaways for me is this quarterback landscape in 7-10. to 10, Brutal. You're, you're, you're basically here hoping that you hit the right gross one. Like, I mean, right now you're looking in the yeah. seventh round real quick. This is kind of like the finishing touch here. Russell Wilson, Danny Dimes, Mac Jones. These are the seventh round guys. 703, 704, 709. Only ones in 812 are Matt Stafford, which, like, I think that's one of those name things you have to just forgo. Like, I have Matt Stafford on a lineup team that was built really good, and then but it only had two quarterbacks, one of which was Dak who gets hurt early, and then Matt Stafford. And all of a sudden, all that other Flopped, shit doesn't yeah. matter. All my yep. great team doesn't matter because my quarterbacks are, st- are suck. And if Matt Stafford retires, like I have a huge hole to fill from what I thought I had. Yep. Now you got Geno at 8-12, Ryan Tannehill 9-01, Jimmy G 906. Jared Goff, honestly, to me, what's interesting is he's still going at 9-09. If the Lions actually don't, don't draft it. one, like that's don't actually one it. I kind of it's gross, but there I I kind of like that. Then you go, I mean, Rodgers goes all the way to eleven oh five. I think there's going to be concern of retirement. This offseason will be very much turmoil for Aaron Rodgers, dynasty owners. Zach Wilson oh, yeah. is somebody that is just the draft capital's there, but everything screams wrong. And then after that, you just have a complete three round miss. No one gets drafted till Marcus Mariota. So understand, like, if you go dumpster diving, you can land one. And I think there's going to be a scenario where you have to do this, but yeah, it is it is so grim at this position. So when we kind it's of wrap brutal. this up, when you get your guys early, understand that was all to tell you that like two. I know it's crazy, and honestly, I don't think I'm taking them at 108. But it may help you understand why, because you don't have scenarios where you can get guys later, man. I, honestly, I, I think there's so much to take away from this startup when you think about 23 values, where the where everything's going to go in Dynasty. I want to give this to you early. You know, this is a 4D thing. Jay Rich and I wanted to give it to you early because right now everyone's talking playoffs. And as soon as the playoffs are over, everyone's going to talk 23. Yeah. But if we give this to you four weeks early, it gives you a little bit of a head start to think about some things in 23. Jay Rich, man, I appreciate you coming on. This was a little mini marathon. Uh, this is going to be a long one. But when I get Jay Rich on, man, and Jay Rich is willing to give us our time, Dynasty Degenerates, Mike's out, but we had to give you a banger. Jay Rich, I appreciate your time, dude. We we appreciate you coming on. Anything um you wanted to touch on real quick before we get up out of here? No, man. Just thank you for having me on. It was a marathon. I always tell um podcast hosts of America's Game, Eric, I tell him if it's not two hours, I'm not listening with him and Scott. If it ain't two hours, I'm not listening. So I'm I don't know if we made it the two hour mark, but I hope we did. So I can tell Eric, I am one of you now. I've done a two hour podcast and we did it, and it was great. And I hope everyone enjoyed it. I know I did, uh, Dynasty Degenerates. Getting to know Jay Rich, getting to chop it up with him. Um, the personality he is, the personality Ray GQ is, their Dynasty Minds, blending it with 4D. It's always a blast. Um, we always miss having Mike on, but we will get him back on next week. We got a really good one coming to you next week, too. So we're coming two weeks strong. 4D is pushing just like everyone's pushing in their fantasy playoffs. So I hope this brought value to you. While you're thinking of winning your league, if you're still a contender, Start thinking a little ahead. Start thinking 4D. What does 23 look like? What do some of these guys look like moving forward? If you don't have a trade deadline, you're one of these degenerate leagues where the trade deadline goes to the playoffs. Can you make a little minor tweak on some things that still help you win now, but you think a little into 23? 
This is all stuff you should be thinking about with 4D. So think about the quarterbacks, think about the receivers, think about this midseason startup with real money on the line. And just remember, when your league mates are playing chess, play 4D chess. <laughs>